0: Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com. I'm your host Martin Bushby and joining me as usual is Jamesy. Hello. And and Jamesy, sadly no Benno with us this week. He's getting one last Toby Carver in before heading over to to (laughs) Germany on on Thursday morning. But but we've uh, drafted in um, a great last minute replacement uh, from Pro Wrestling Torch. It's Will Cooling. Will, thanks for joining us this week.
1: Oh, it's good to be here, and yes, I'm, I'm still getting used to my new first name. It used to be fighting Swift Magazine's World Calling, but that's gone to the great magazine shop in the sky, so it's now Pro Wrestling we World Calling.
0: Some, uh, <laughs> yeah, fantastic uh, podcast. I've been enjoying it uh, the past few weeks. Um, I've been listening to it. I mean, certainly uh, some controversial topics you've been covering on there, and uh, we'll be covering them. Later on in the show, but I mean, before we went on air, I was reading through a great interview with David Starr, he did with the Daily Mirror newspaper over in the UK, where he talked about his career in wrestling, I mean, some of the main points that stood out to me were him talking about the UK wrestling boom being over, I mean, one of the first prominent wrestlers to kind of really touch that subject, uh... But the scene's still being pretty healthy, even though the boom period's over. Uh, talked about all the politics of NXT UK guys and independent guys appearing on the same shows, his thoughts on Ring of Honor and Sinclair and their issues, and, and just all in all, a really fascinating interview uh, with one of the most interesting people in wrestling today, I thought, James.
2: Excellent interview, yeah. like, And, you, you know, you you often kind of you read mainstream newspapers or mainstream publications and when you see that there's been a wrestling interview, your heart kind of sinks nearly beforehand because it's kind of the way that wrestling can be treated in the mainstream media or, or, or in your, you know, in your daily newspapers can be a little bit disappointing at times. Like, but um, I don't have the guy's name to hand in front of me. Like, but, but whoever did the interview the old, with him did it. ducking. Yeah. And, and great credit to him. Like he, he did a super job with, yeah, there he is. Neil Docking yeah, did a super job with that interview, you know, like it got really into the stuff that I would want to hear David Starr talking about, you know. Um, the thing he said about the boom being over, I think was was kind of stood out to me. It's it's nice to hear a wrestler be honest and be realistic about the situation in British wrestling. now I mean, he does go on to say that British wrestling isn't dead. And I mean, I think, you know, we've discussed this in the last few episodes about the state of the British wrestling scene. And what David Starr said is what we think at the moment, that the boom is 100 percent over. Um, and like he he alluded to guys in the in the locker room saying it as well. So it's just nice to hear people being honest. And, and like you, you get tired when you see some of these wrestlers going on Twitter kind of sarcastically saying British wrestling is dead based on. NXT UK doing well or or based on a show selling out 200 people and that kind of thing, you know? So it's nice to hear just some honesty from a wrestler, but the big thing that kind of caught my eye was the AEW stuff more than, more than anything, you know, um, Like he openly talks of his admiration for Cody Rhodes and for Tony Khan and the Young Bucks and that kind of thing. Um, It it reads to me like a guy who's either has signed with AEW or is very much making overtures towards AEW to be signed. And like I've had chats in private with you guys, um, with yourself, Will, uh, and with you, Martin, and a few friends of mine. Like and I have suspected for a while that Starr may be on his way to AEW, you know, based on how he's been booked in a lot of places lately, like it feels like promotions are getting the big David Star matches out of the way. In the last while, when you think about the the Rev Pro match with Osprey, and he, he loses a loser leaves town match, um, he you know he he gets his title shot finally in progress, loses that. He's, it feels like the storyline with him and Jordan Devlin is reaching its conclusion in OTT in the next few, in the next few weeks. Um, it feels like uh, WXW, I have a feeling that maybe the, the Walter thing might finally be blown off in WXW over the coming weekend. So it feels like his time with all these major companies is coming to a natural end and it feels like something is happening with David Starr and AEW seems like the most logical place for him to end up, you know. So like to, for, for me to kind of have suspected that and then to see him basically kind of fluttering his eyelids at the AEW guys blatantly in in a national newspaper. It just kind of strengthens my opinion that David Starr may not be around British wrestling for for much longer, which would be a huge blow. Um, And yeah, but yeah, fantastic interview. Credit to to the interviewer and credit to Starr for being so open. Um, A tremendous read. I don't know what you made of it, Will
1: yeah no I think um the mirror, and I think also actually the daily star tends to do quite good things when they interview wrestlers um I thought um, as somebody who had done interviews in the past, I thought the interviewer's technique was great um you James had a similar thoughts to myself about the guy who interviewed the referee from the Bodem incident that he- he was less he was he wasn't kind of. I do not say pinning down, but he wasn't guiding the discussion in a way to get the most information out of the interviewee. And I thought this guy, you no, know, he doesn't. He wasn't commanding attention, but he was asking really good questions. He was getting started to talk, and I thought you learned a lot about stars' thought process. So I think the stuff about how, you know, at one point he he really wanted to work. In wwe and now he doesn't and how he's been told it's never going to happen even if he didn't want it to happen and the Ring of honor like this is all really interesting and as an american politics nerd yeah, sinclair awful like people don't understand what an evil presence in american politics sinclair are like potentially they become they could be a bigger problem for american democracy than fox but then yeah like you like i've been thinking for a while Something's going on with Star. He's being written out of a lot of places. It feels like things are coming to a natural conclusion. And AEW has always made the most sense for him. It's made the most sense for him in terms of somebody who gets over based on his speaking, gets over on the basis of his ideas about how to do promos. You, you know, you hear the way Moxley talked about how AEW was approaching and produced him to do promos. You know, that is the type of thing that, uh, that Star's been doing on the Indies, you know, just seizing the moment, doing quick things that make sense and that resonate. So it would be devastating to see him go. I'm going to you know later. I'm going to talk about other people who may be leaving Brit rest or, or winding down in Brit, West, Brit rest. But you can't say he hasn't turned the chance to uh, make it big in America.
0: Well, um, I mean, I know he's not the uh, needle shifter that CM Punk is, but well, could you see him uh, debuting on the show tonight, uh, Jamesy? Star.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe not tonight. Like I, I, well, I mean, I mean, he could, I suppose, but um, whether it's tonight or whether it's down the line, I just feel like. You know, much as as European wrestling needs David Starr at the moment, I, I feel like David Starr is, is a TV worker. Like like what Will said, like the guy is just the most compelling talker, maybe in all of wrestling at the moment. Um he would be so suitable to TV, like it's almost at the, at the at the stage where he's more suitable to serialized television than he is to being on an indie independence, you know, and and that's where OTT have kind of made the best of him where they've, it's almost the stuff they've done in between shows with star that, that's, that stood out as much as the stuff he's doing actually in the ring and at the shows and that kind of thing. And he's, he's almost, you know, the way we talk about the indies being raided and we think about um, guys been taken off the indies and almost like everybody who can wrestle a match on the indies is nearly signed up these days like star to be is one of those elite talents that, that deserves to be signed up. And even back say five years ago when NXT UK wasn't a thing and when, when WWE didn't quite have the policy of just hoarding all this talent, he is one of those upper tier guys that would have been signed anyway. You know what I mean? He's so good at talking. He's such a good wrestler that he's the kind of guy they would have picked up no matter what, you know? So whether it's tonight, whether it's down the line, um, he should be on our television screens and uh, as a person who has kind of been a fan of star and advocated him for a good few years now, like it would give me nothing but pleasure for him to be kind of exposed to the more mainstream audience for him to be appreciated on a wider level and maybe appreciated more than
1: he is by some independent fans. I think the thing is what it's like, because we've talked about this before, but it is worth stressing the reason why, even though we'd be sad not to have star, on the local scene the reason why it'd be cool for him to go to AEW is because his career would be progressing he'd be going from yeah. shows at a certain level to that. shows at this huge level it is very different to the best wrestlers in the country being shoved into a warehouse in Enfield yes. like it's not the same thing and that's why we treat it differently and that that, that is just reality you know we can get, we we don't just have to be happy that he's going to earn more money if he goes for AEW. We can also, as fans of his, feel that sense of pride, happiness, that his career is progressing, that he's going to get to do cool stuff on a bigger stage. Like, Can you imagine him versus Cody, or him versus Dustin, yeah. or if he, if he manages to get to a level where he gets to face all like Jericho or Omega, like... The sky's the limit if he gets
0: the breaks. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree because he, like James has just noted there, he'd be telling some really great, compelling stories. And I think that's what, I mean, AUW, you can knock them all you want, but I feel like the, especially when it comes to the Cody Rhodes matches, he has been telling some compelling stories. So I feel like those two coming head to head would would certainly make some interesting well, TV. Well,
1: just on that. I was saying this on Twitter, I think, a few few weeks ago. If you were to put a gun to my head and say, book a WWE, AEW interpromotional match, the match would be Cody versus Triple H. And I would not have dreamed of saying that <laughs> thirteen months ago. But like Cody has just hit this other level uh in terms of doing these matches that mean a lot and have you know good dramatic pacing. Um, they even wake up JR. So he's good on commentary for um, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's 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 been Cody's been really impressive for AEW.
0: But um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, going back to the uh, Mirror interview, definitely worth checking out. It's up on the website now, and um, obviously, like you know, there. Um, well, I, f- I feel like Nick- Neil Docking has been doing some uh, great wrestling articles uh, during his time at the Mirror. So uh, yeah, definitely worth checking that out. But I mean, before we get into our uh, main. Um, main topic of, of this week uh, we've got a little bit of housekeeping before we get into the bulk of the show uh this is going to be our final time um, with the show coming out on a wednesday obviously there's been loads of changes in the wrestling landscape the past few months and with wednesday becoming quite crowded now it made sense for us to uh, move move days on, on our show so um, our episodes will now drop every friday still every two weeks still on the same network but uh, just to give us a bit more breathing room and to make way for the for the new shows on post-wrestling. So, uh, yeah, this will be our last one on on a Wednesday. And uh, moving into the well, main the, the, Sorry, Will. The next time there's
1: a big weekend, uh, whether it's WXW or Progress or Wolverhampton, we're going to have to find a bar for you guys to do, like a live podcast. <laughs> you guys could be the Football Weekly of uh, Progress. <laughs> <laughs> God, uh, it's imagine. It's a small
0: matter of getting all three of us in a room together. Be, uh... <laughs>
2: just get someone to pay my flights and I'll be there.
0: Yeah, indeed. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, moving into the main portion of the show, and uh, Riptide Wrestling held their uh, bank holiday weekend of wrestling on the 26th of August with uh, two shows held over on one day, uh, held at the fantastic venue of the Brighton Open Air Theatre on what I've been told was an absolutely scorching hot day. And typically for Riptide, this looks great visually with the always excellent cinematic style of camera work that they use, uh, really showcasing this uh, really good-looking outdoor theatre. And over the two shows, we had a tournament for the Pride of Britain title, and interspersed with that, we had a variety of other matches as... As always with the promotion, they use wrestlers who who might not have had the best time in other promotions, but they really shine a light on them here in Riptide. And on top of this, there was also a stacked lineup with the likes of David Starr, Medusa Complex, Jordan Grayson, even former Kids TV presenter Dave Benson Phillips appearing (laughs) The main story throughout the weekend was uh, it was the very flamboyant wrestler Cassius, who I have to say I was very unfamiliar with. Uh, he replaced Candy Floss in the Pride of Brighton tournament and uh, ended up winning the whole thing. And as a whole, I'd, I'd recommend seeing these shows. A great example of uh, accentuating the positives and showcasing a whole host of upcoming new talent. But E, while not um, having an out-and-out standout match on the show, the whole day was definitely worth checking out, I feel.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Like, and like, I, I have nothing but positive things to say about these two shows. To be honest, like the, I think they taught me a little lesson and, and and reminded me of what it was like to be a wrestling fan. Maybe before, before we became almost obsessed with the spreadsheet and the grapple app and that kind of thing. And I found myself really enjoying these shows just as a top to bottom experience and not kind of thinking critically about how good the matches and how bad the matches were, but just almost enjoying them as a fan and almost brought me back to being like um, a younger fan where, where you're cheering the, the the faces and booing the heels and that kind of thing. And, and like Riptide have done wonders with, with this promotion. I think that they've been around now for about two years. And to my mind, they must be up there if not the british wrestling promotion of the year you know uh, like they, they stand alone number one in terms of their aesthetics like these shows were outdoor shows filmed in a in a a, a kind of a, a theater in brighton and they must be the most beautiful wrestling, beautiful looking wrestling shows I may have ever seen. You know what I mean? Like filming outdoors is not easy, you know, and yet they managed to capture everything in beautiful high quality. The second show kind of took place in the evening when night was falling on the venue and they had, they had it lit up beautifully. They had some beautiful, epic camera shots from a, from a drone above the venue at times. Um, Like just aesthetically alone, just Absolutely beautiful looking, you know, and, and like they've they've carved a niche for themselves in terms of they very much know who they are as a promotion. You know what I mean? Like they they, they have done lots and lots of things to stand out. You know, like they're very much uh, a promotion that promotes diversity. You know, like that they, they have always treated whatever your opinions about intergender wrestling. There has never been a thing in Riptide about it being intergender. They just did intergender. They never patted themselves on the back for it from day one. They just had men wrestling women as equals. They had an egalitarian outlook to that kind of thing. And they did it in a way that came across as genuine. And they never did it in a way that was kind of looking for kudos and that kind of thing. You know, um, they're an extremely fan friendly promotion. You know, um, you can there's just a lovely feeling about their shows. You feel like everybody at those shows is having a good time. Nobody's at the show kind of in a snarky way trying to get themselves over as a fan or anything like that. Everybody there is over. The fans love to cheer the heels, and they love love to cheer the faces. I'd love to boo the heels. There's a very strict face heel divide. Like it almost feels like an old, like you're, almost like you're stepping back into a territory in the '80s. In ways, you know what I mean. The way you have such strong heel characters and such strong baby faces. You know, they have a baby face champion in in Chuck Mambo, who's one of the best pure baby faces in wrestling at the moment, you know, um, just a guy who in every single way fits and encapsulate that, prom- that promotion perfectly. He's beloved by the fans. He has fire when it needs to be. He can do the little bit of comedy when it needs to be. Um, another thing I really liked was they have time for everybody. Like everybody on the card, they make an effort to let them have their moment to shine, you know? So between matches, you have little videos where people are cutting promos like a guy like Curtis Chapman. Curtis Chapman is a guy that I'm. you'd be pretty familiar with from Rev Pro shows and elsewhere and that kind of thing. I can't say Curtis Chapman is ever, is, has ever been somebody who's interested me a huge amount or somebody who, if I see his name on a show, I'm going to go, I'm definitely going to watch that match. But Curtis Chapman here, he has his own little gimmick where he's a keyboard warrior. Uh, they give him 30 seconds to cut a little promo before his match. So I think on the first show, he's wrestling Jordan Breaks, another young wrestler who's kind of, pushed fairly heavily in the promotion and he does this nice little simple p- promo where he, he takes his phone out and he tries to find Jordan Breaks on cage match and Jordan Breaks doesn't have a cage match profile yet no. <laughs> and it's kind of, it, but, but like he played it brilliantly you know he's scrolling down he's going there's Jordan Devlin there's dead, but there's no Jordan Breaks you don't even have a cage match profile you know so in 30 seconds you give him a chance to shine and you give him you give yourself a reason to hate this guy in his match you know what I mean so They've just thought they've they've kind of gone back to basics with wrestling, you know. They, they they've they've decided that it's not going to be a place where the heels are cool or anything like that. Like the heels in this promotion are truly despicable and they're despised by the fans, you know. Like Spike Trevey, the top heel in the promotion, like Spike Trevey has become somebody who's become kind of sneered at and, and kind of derided for his his shall we say his bad tweets in the last few weeks and that kind of thing and deservedly so but if you put all that aside Spike Trevay in Riptide is a revelation like one of the most malevolent and conniving and dastardly heels you'll ever see in wrestling gets his chance to talk on the microphone and cuts these great promos. Like there was a moment at the start of I think it was um the tag match on night two where he's come into the ring and he's kind of, they, they, they have a female announcer um, and he's kind of, he's just staring down the announcer and she's kind of cowering away from him in the corner. She can't even look the guy in the face. And it's just little things like that that make him stand apart as this, just this horrible bastard of a heel, like who's, who's hell bent on becoming the champion in the company. And it's, it's just really good stuff, as I said. It, it's a kind of a mix of a promotion with very modern values, like they're really environmentally responsible, they're fan friendly, you know, they're all about equality and promoting diversity, pushing a guy like Cassius and that kind of thing. But at the same time, their booking has really old school values, and it's 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 just. It's really good. And like, the, I couldn't say, sit here and say, watch this match and this match and this match. I think to enjoy Riptide, you just have to watch the whole show because it's, it's a top to bottom experience that's supremely enjoyable. Um, the shows are only like two hours two hours 15 each they're, they're easy to kind of you can kind of have them on in the background and you don't have to focus on them in the way that maybe you'd have to concentrate on a new japan match or, or a long main event and that kind of thing so as i said like I, I could wax lyrical about them all day really like just just to me an incredibly enjoyable promotion to watch and maybe my favorite promotion at the moment in terms of watching a card from top to bottom
1: so this is the second year in a row where I've been really gun ho to get down to Riptide for a weekend, because where I am in Wolverhampton, I can't go down for just a one-off show. No. It's, just, it's not feasible economically or time-wise. They usually run Fridays. And I'm gun ho I'm gung-ho. You get to within two weeks or last year, it was literally the day of, and then something happens. Last year, there was, my son wasn't well. This year, I was just broke because I got reminded that my other son – his school fees were due, so I couldn't go. <laughs> um, and for the second year in a row, I look at this and I was like, oh, "Damn it! This would have been awesome to be at." Oh, yeah. um, just, just to um, before we get into some of the stuff uh, James was talking about, we have talked about the live experience. Like, I um, you know, these were it was bring your own bottle, so fans were literally, you know, sitting outside, having her own, drinking her own alcohol as a spirit drinker who has to keep explaining to people, if I go out, if I drink at a wrestling show, if I go out to a wrestling show, that's 100 quid. Gone. Wow. So I, I think I pick my spots when it comes to... <laughs> to Anybody who's listened to Grapton Claps know, I picked my spot this weekend. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the, the, they had the liveroo. room. So you could actually order rather rather than trying to go to the effort of having um, takeaway vans that may not, may not happen. They just said, Deliveroo can deliver to this venue. So you could get a wider selection of food. These are really clever things. And I think what they talk about, and this is what comes through in the VOD, is this is, um, I don't know, third, like second or third generation, Rip promotion. So these are clearly you no, know, whereas, you know, you're like so your Fight Club Pro or your Progress or your Rev Pro, they had grew up on going to live events, having loved American indies, and kind of learned how to vo- how to do VOD on the fly. These the guys within Riptide are clearly guys who grew up as fans on VOD. And so they have a really clear idea what they want their VOD to look like. There are some things I, I love. So, for example, James was talking about the promos. Promos are great. Um, Curtis Chapman is a revelation. I've seen him do heel work in other promotions, including good, and he's always great at it. But this keyboard warrior um character is fantastic. It it worked. I've seen matches of him doing it in Riptide where he's kind of hitting people with the keyboards. But that promo he did about uh, Jordan Banks was hilarious. It was so, 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 so good. But what they do is they actually subtitle them properly. Yes. Yeah. Which is such a great thing for accessibility. And I, and I, and I don't know how many, no, how many deaf fans they have, but I think it's an important thing. It's an important uh, removal of a barrier. And I think it just adds to that sense that this is inclusive and it's welcoming. Some of the stuff they were doing, on the video is really impressive so that at some points they would have the actual disperse and there'd be two points of reference for the for the action and they would actually do the box in the corner that would showcase what was happening elsewhere again really clever i've I've, i don't think i've ever seen an indie do something that's elaborate little things it's not a little thing i mean I'm, i'm sure it's quite difficult to do you go into Pivot Share. You there are chapter headings. You can switch to the match that you want to watch. You don't have to do the thing where you just keep holding down and holding down and holding down. You can actually pull up <laughs> a menu and pick the match you want. Now, what I will say, despite no, it does look gorgeous. The the picture quality is unbelievably crisp. Um, I don't. I can't think of any of the Pivot Share websites that have pictured this clear, which does make me think which i kind of already knew from how well high spots works on pivot share that it's the promotions not the platform i do sometimes think the camera work is a bit too in love with itself um, um it feels it feels a bit too too many cuts sometimes a bit too many weird angles i i kind of like it to be a bit bit of a stiller, steadier mm. cam when I'm watching wrestling. Um like it's impressive what they're doing and a drone drone camera is really impressive, but sometimes I am starting to get a little bit seasick. <laughs> um, um, what I would say in terms of the atmosphere of the map of the shows, the this kind of weird fusion between um, modern progressivism and old-school babyface heel dynamic is more common on the kind of underground scene than you might think. You know, uh, Wrestle Resurgence um, in the East Midlands, um, Breed, and when it comes together, offer a similar package. What I think Riptide do the best is kind of hitting that level where... I think that they're like almost like the king of these promotions who are trying to marry those two very different things, like modern progressive values, old-school heel babyface dynamics. And I think a lot of that is due to production. It is due to commitment to winning storylines. It is due to the time they give for their characters to deliver promos. Um, in terms of Cassius, I've seen him a couple of times. Um, I think... I. I think was it the last time I saw him was it was when he was doing the Lucha Libre shows, and um, the second of which where Silver King died, and he's always a great character. He wrestles really well. I think he was a really good pick to win this tournament, even though obviously it was due to Kenny Floss not being available. And I thought that match where they him and Curtis Chapman are in the final had a really cool dynamic because you know it was. No, weirdly, it was Chapman as the bigger guy bullying the smaller guy, and the smaller guy having more explosiveness, more charisma, and Chapman just being this kind of nasty heel. So I, I thought it, all worked really well. In terms of the lack of like a four star, five star match, one of the things I'm in, I'm increasingly convinced about is if you're trying to get younger guys over. Sometimes add in that four star, four and a half star match on top of the cards actually hurts them because it hurts their confidence.
0: Yeah.
1: It makes the fans look more critically at them. And there's almost like if everyone's doing a three star match, everyone's great. If someone if someone goes out into a four and a half star match, all of a sudden you're starting to nitpick what yeah. these guys are doing. And you know, look, someone like Treve. Tra- 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 I've seen him in so many of these promotions that kind of blur that indie um family friendly divide. Like I saw him la- I saw him a lot last year in like Shropshire Wrestling Alliance, and he always kills it in those in those situations, in a way he doesn't in progress, because his character work is on point, his interaction with the crowd is better than anybody, but his ring work Not quite four-star level yet, but that's fine. He'll get there. But what Riptide are doing is they're giving them a platform to actually showcase that on a great VOD service.
0: Because we can, I mean, we can talk all about what's happening in the ring, but it just goes to show, and OTT have been a great example of this, if you put together a great team behind the scenes in terms of production and Getting your product out there, then it's certainly going to pay dividends for you, Jamesy.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Like, and it just feels like a promotion where everyone is pulling together. Like, you know, and even we talked about the ring announcer. Like, she feels very much like the right ring announcer for their show. She's kind of, she, she's, she's almost like she's, she, like when she announces the baby faces, she announces them like she's so happy to see them. And then when she announces a Curtis Chapman or a Spike Trevay, she immediately tones it down and she's almost like she's disappointed to see them, you know. So it's like everybody kind of knows their role in the company. And one of the other things we should mention is I believe this is one of the first times that they did uh, commentary for their shows. Yeah. Um, But the great thing that they did on their VOD service is they give you the option to have no commentary. So if, if you're used to watching Riptide for the last two years with no commentary, you can still do that. If you'd like to have some commentary maybe to fill in the gaps, if you're a new viewer or someone who just likes to have commentary with their wrestling, it's there. Um, they had Shea Purser on both shows, and on the first show they had Lycos with him. And on the second show they had, I think, Slick Lombardo with him. Yeah. Um, I would say the commentary was decent. I wouldn't say it was blow-away good. Yeah. Um,
1: but I wasn't impressed with the commentary.
2: Were Okay. I suppose but by, by Rest standards, like who does have good commentary? So, I mean, it, it wasn't the worst commentary. It didn't grate on me, say, like progress commentary does or Rev Pro commentary does at times. Um, I think, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's a bit like the wrestlers, I suppose. You're kind of getting, you're getting three-star matches from the wrestlers and you're maybe getting two and a half to three-star commentary as well. And I feel like maybe they're guys who will find their feet. Like, I, I don't think they quite know whether they should play it straight or whether they should be kind of like they were doing I thought him and Lycos were kind of doing a self-aware thing where they kept saying shades of such and such a wrestler yeah, and that, I think
0: that, it that was almost for me they kept saying that oh this is shades of this or this is yeah, yeah.
2: but, but they, they they did it so much that I think they were doing it on purpose like right, whereas when Mar- Mar- when Miro Ronaldo does it it's in a completely unself-aware way and it's almost like he's, he, he really wants you to know that he knows his wrestling and he wants you to know that he knows who Fry and Takayama are and he wants you to know he knows who Misawa is and all this kind of stuff whereas I think they, they did it as a kind of almost as a kind of a piss take of that and almost as a self-aware kind of an in-joke and that kind of thing but it was like they were trying to do a little bit of that and then they were trying to do straight commentary as well and at times like Purser kind of was being like Purser's a heel in the company he, he's in the faction with Moser and Spike Trevay but at times he was being very like a baby face and other times he was calling the fans idiots so it's it's the kind of thing where you'd like to give them a chance to develop like you're kind of giving the wrestlers a chance to develop but if it's not for you it's so refreshing to kind of have that option like, and like I would give anything for Progress VOD without the commentary at this stage you know I really would because I, I find that commentary just literally affects my enjoyment of their product so much
1: So to me because I we were talking about this offline. Like I've been, I think we talked about this on the show before. Like I've been a defender of fight club pro not having commentary. And one of the things I realise is that's fine for me because I'm like a little fight club pro encyclopedia in my brain. And I can just remember all these callbacks and actually you, you lose fans who aren't watching them show to show. They don't understand the significance of what's happening. As if you add in commentary to a promotion that's not had it before, what I'd be looking for the commenters comment, comment commentary team to do is not call every move, because you've established you don't need that. Mm. You'd be just kind of throwing in that stuff like here's why this is important, here's why this is meaningful, here's the underlying uh, storyline. And instead, well, I particularly when it was it was like us and Shay. They were just doing their attack commentary. Like that it was basically the type of commentary you get on attack, where it's no, it's, you know, it's fun. You no, know, it's very, you know, in jokey, self-referential, yeah. banter. But if you're moving to have commentary, presumably you've identified a reason why you need it. And to me, it would be we want to get our storylines across. And I don't think they were doing that because, you know, with Attack, Attack tends to do more stuff in the ring to get those storylines across. So you don't need commentators to play that role. I mean, Attack literally has alternate pairs of wrestlers do the commentary. Tyler Bates is quite a funny commentator, for example. So, yeah, I think I don't think it's the commentators. I just think they need to be given a clearer steer from the producers. I actually thought Slick. There is something there with Slick as a commentator in terms of how he was doing, and I thought he brought a more serious side out of Shay. Um but I think I don't think they had a clear role from the promotion.
0: I think for me, currently where they're at, I think Riptide do enough where I get what's going on without commentary, so I'm fine without the commentary. And also, I don't think you can expect every promotion to have an Ango McInerney or an Alan Forelli, you know what I mean? I mean, they're the two yeah. high ones in, in as far as European wrestling goes. So, I don't know, perhaps give them more of a chance and maybe continue what they're doing, have a commentary one and a commentary three O D to give people the option. But yeah, for me, I, I think currently where they're at, I think Riptide do enough in-ring just watching it without commentary, that you know what's happening and, you know, who's who, who's doing what and what the storylines are currently. So, uh, well, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they uh, continue along the same route with uh, the they So back this weekend with their uh, Brighton Spirit show, which will be three shows over two days, featuring the likes of Cara Noir, Sue Young, Besties in the World, The Rascals, and uh, and Daniel McCabe. I mean, stack show this, James. are going up against WXW this weekend.
2: Yeah, like it's it's great credit to them that that on a weekend, that's you know it, it's German wrestling's second biggest weekend of the year, and they're running a tag tournament, which needs you need a lot of wrestlers to be booked just to run a tag tournament. That that they've managed to, to put together these just really unique cards. Now, now the unfortunate thing is that one of the tag teams um, has pulled out. And they kind of had to tear up their cards almost a little bit and kind of rewrite the whole thing. And they've they've expanded the tag tournament now and they've kind of thrown out some of the matches that they had planned. But like the whole that that whole card just has such a, again, almost a completely different card to the shows we just talked about. But everything has a fresh and vibrant feeling like, you know, they've somebody there is scouting and somebody is kind of looking at who's getting the buzz kind of uh, amongst wrestling fans at the moment, like because they've they've booked friend of the show, Daniel Maccabi, like you said. They've also booked uh, Darius Lockhart, who, who's over in the UK at the moment from the US. And like, it, he's a guy that people should really watch out for. Like I've seen some of his matches um, last year. He had some really good matches against Slim Jay and that kind of guy. Those kind of guys kind of in, in the southern kind of lesser known promotions of the United States. And he's another guy that in six months time, everybody's going to be booking him and everybody's going to want him on their cards. You know what I mean? So they're, they're scouting really well. They're putting together fresh and vibrant cards. You know, they, they, they I remember they, like they have Sue Young on these cards this weekend. And I remember, remember that the rumble show that we watched, um, I think it was in maybe March or April. And that they literally brought Sue Young over for that show just to do an angle. And they didn't even put her in a match. And now they're bringing the kind of introduced her to the audience three or four months ago. And now they're bringing her back in to have matches like and they have, I think they were Sue Young against Cara Noir match, like just really good matchmaking, you know, t- two huge characters. Imagine what a spectacle that's going to be like, you know, and especially with with the way that they film shows as well and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, as I said, like, again, I would say on paper, those cards look just as good as the WXW shows. And that's a great achievement, like for them to be matching up to one of the biggest promotions in Europe's biggest weekend, you know.
1: I must admit, as somebody who only preaches friendship and harmony with the European Union, I think it's awfully nasty of Riptide to uh, counter <laughs> WXW's uh, World Tag Team Festival like this. <laughs> in, 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 in all seriousness, they're like, this is astonishing how great a, lot, how great a lineup um, they've managed to put together. I think they have benefited from having been less rigid than, than WXW. So, for example, the Medusa Complex. Which I think are a really good tag team were featured on the double header in Brighton. Um, they wouldn't be allowed into the World Tag Team Festival because WXW doesn't do intergender wrestling. They can be involved in here uh, in the same way. You now Millie's been in, Millie was involved in their their title their title tournament last year. You know they they're just they've got the rascals they've got the besties presumably because those guys are going to be doing stuff with Rev Pro on the Sunday. So it's it's a really, really strong lineup and like if I wasn't going to WXW, I'd have absolutely made a trip down to Brighton for these three shows.
0: And uh, moving away from the UK now and on over to Ireland and with their huge fifth anniversary show looming on the horizon, OTT headed up to Belfast and held Martina's gaff party on the twenty of September at the Europa Hotel and I mean, obviously, this is, wasn't a patch on their Road to Fifth Anniversary show from the previous month, but still a pretty solid show, I thought. It uh, was interesting, uh, John Devlin, all over the poster for this one, but uh, pulled out at the last minute, Jamesy.
2: Yeah, you you called it, Martin, we were talking about the the run up to the stadium show there, um, I think the last time we spoke, and the one thing you said was, it it would be great if OTT had a show where Jordan was booked and then had to pull off suddenly, because it it would play into everything that Star has been saying, you know, and I don't know this for a fact, but just based on my own feelings about it, I I think Jordan was never booked on that show, Um, like he was front and centre of the poster, but as of... The Wednesday or Thursday of the week of the show, he still hadn't been booked in a match. And like, what, when do OTT leave it that late? Yeah, kind of announce a match for their for their star guy. And even looking at the card they did give, I can't even see somebody on the show that, that that hadn't been put in a match that they could have put up against Jordan. It just it it just it all screams to me of them kind of being a little bit clever and in fairness, being a little bit sneaky. Like if, if you're a, a fan from from Belfast and you bought a ticket in good faith. Expecting to see Jordan Devlin, you know, uh, and if it did emerge that they had never intended to book him in the first place, you would have a right to be a little bit annoyed. So it's clever booking by Ott, but it's also a little bit risky. Like you know, it's a it's you're running you're running like they they are onto a good thing at the moment there in Belfast, where those shows pretty much sell out very very quickly. You know, they, they they've captured that audience, and you don't want to kind of take risks with people's trust in you. You know what I mean? And you don't want people the next time Jordan Devlin's announced on the card to be kind of looking at it with suspicion going, well, maybe Jordan won't be on the card, you know. So it's a risky business. I guess why they did it, if it is what they did. Um, And like, I can't wait to hear like Star already kind of had his say on Twitter and kind of had a few nasty jabs at Jordan there during the week about it. Um, And like, it it didn't help matters then that on the day of the show, Jordan Devlin was all over his Twitter timeline um, with pictures of him. And I think Isla Dawn and a few other of the NXT UK guys and they weren't at a wrestling show they weren't at training at the performance center they were at I think some kind of a board game convention so it's like it's a little wow. bit of a flimsy it's a little bit of a flimsy thing to miss a show for you know and I'm hoping that we get a sit down interview with David Starr maybe between now and the stadium show where he has to say on that because that's you can imagine him licking his lips like in delight I've been given this kind of material to work with because I'm sure he'll have plenty things to say about that
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially if it was some kind of board game festival. That would be yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Certainly yeah. looking forward to a promo from Star about that one. And uh hats uh, sort off to OTT for getting uh, a really good looking uh, VOD out two days after the event. Yeah. So it can be done. Uh, as a proving here. And uh, I mean, we won't go through the whole card, but there are certainly some highlights here. Uh, first off, we had uh, Lucky Kid, Omori, and Chris Ridgway taking on more than Hyper. Ridgeway back here for a short period between tours of Japan and thought some good grappling between Ridgeway and Cleary, Cleary early doors. Omari getting a good reception first time he came into the ring. So that uh, first show he did for OTT last month certainly paying off for him. And, um, I mean, this is, wasn't as good as uh, the modern high uh, sixth man from the road to fifth anniversary show, but I thought still an enjoyable match that was Similar in that everyone got their moment in the sun, uh, lots of fun double teams and triple teams. And um, yeah, and, and I thought Kearney, obviously, LJ Cleary gets all the praise from uh, Modern Hype, but I thought Kearney looked great coming in off hot tags in this and there, then picking up the win, tapping out Lucky Kid with a half crab. Uh, I mean, uh, Will, what were your thoughts on this match?
1: I mean, the main thing for me is like, so I've been a huge fan of Emari for the past couple of years, and he had a bad 2018. I think the idea of his 2018 was at the very end where he had a pretty poor showing against David Starr in Fight Club Pro and just couldn't kind of, he just couldn't mesh with Starr wanting to do chain wrestling. And I actually thought the chain wrestling that he did here and some of the stuff he did on the ground and some of the quick exchanges looked great. Um, And you can see his confidence is coming back up. Um, you know, he's always had a a good physique by Brit rest standards. He's getting to the point where he's just got a good physique by wrestling standards. Like the guy, looks huge. Um, you no, know, so I really hope. You no, know, these two uh, shows for OTT have gone well. He's booked for the for the one in uh, for the one in Dublin at the end of the month. I really hope that there's something that's going to help him get some momentum. Hopefully he gains some, some confidence, become a bit more aggressive about picking up bookings across the country because Omari could be a superstar. Like, again, he had, he had a wobble in 2018, but anybody who saw those matches with Keith Lee knows Amari. Omari could be the guy. Like, Omari, I mean, I saw, I saw the first two Keith Lee matches. The third one wasn't quite as good. The first two Keith Lee matches, it was like, this guy is... This guy could be like a British thing. Um, there's a natural likability, there's natural athleticism, natural explosiveness to him. And, you know, you no, know, I, back in 2017, I, got, I was able to arrange for him to be interviewed by myself for Wolverhampton's Black History Month launch event. And there is, no, he is, this is a demographic that British wrestling is really underserving at the moment and is struggling to draw and it comes to fans and Omari could be the crossover star that the industry needs so yeah no, I was I was like I'm a big fan of Omari but I was really impressed with Omari in this match
2: sometimes sometimes it takes a young wrestler almost stepping away from do you know the way, like, at Fight Club Pro there for a while, he was almost like he was in that last jar, like, and and there like, was probably a lot of pressure on him and that kind of thing. And like, all the expectation on him was that he was going to be their next guy and that kind of thing. And, like, sometimes it just takes a younger wrestler maybe stepping away from that and going somewhere, like, where, where he maybe that pressure isn't on him. Like, you know what I mean? Because to me, he looks like a new man in OTT. Like, he's completely relaxed he has that kind of that lovely laid back swagger about him that that, that we haven't seen for a while, I'd say in Fight Club Pro, uh, and like we saw it recently enough with Valkyrie here in Ireland as well. Like she was struggling as a baby face. I talked about it on the last podcast. She was struggling badly as a baby face, um, kind of this time last year, and it just wasn't clicking for her. And like I think she felt a lot of pressure because her peers would be more than hype and Michael May, and those guys were kind of breaking out everywhere they were having good matches in ott and it probably felt to her like she was getting left behind a little bit and it just wasn't clicking and then she went away to germany and kind of did an excursion there and probably had little or no expectation on her got the chance to train with new people have matches with new people and suddenly it feels like the penny has dropped with her you know and maybe just this little trip to ireland for omari every every few months if they keep booking him it could be the little push that kind of just sets him back on the right track you know because like you said well like Every, that guy could be the guy in, in, in British wrestling. You know what I mean? He has everything possible you could want from him. Um, and fingers crossed that it does happen for him. You know, and the, the only the other little thing I would take from that match is how much is Chris Ridgway improving in Japan? Like,
0: oh, yes,
2: it, it, it's it's really apparent, like to me anyway. You know, like I remember was this. Maybe you might remember Will the match he had with Walter in progress? I think it was maybe February March this year, and it was it was it was a bit of a disaster for Ridgeway. You know, his strikes came off. He kind of came off almost pathetic in it. Like he 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 whiffed on a few kicks, and his strikes just looked kind of pathetic up against Walter. And here, like the reaction he was getting, like the Belfast crowd maybe wouldn't be too familiar with Ridgeway. I don't know how many times he's wrestled there before, but you could hear them reacting to every single kick that he landed. Like there were oohs and ahs and like you could see people in the crowd almost wincing. Like there's an advertisement for a guy that, you know, you don't need to take an NXT UK contract at, at Ridgway's age, back yourself, go to somewhere like Noah, which in 2019 isn't a particularly fashionable place. Like it's not New Japan by any means. He's not wrestling in front of huge crowds by any means in Japan, but he's wrestling against good wrestlers all the time. I think this is the second tour he's come back from now. And you can see it's exactly what he needed to kind of go from the guy who was having goodish matches on the undercard to maybe kind of by the turn of the year, being the guy who has, the big matches on the top of the cards. Like, I think it's, it's been exactly the right thing for him and you can just see how much he's improved.
1: I think as well, I think it's, a, it's a similar situation to what Ospreay had, you know, I think um, Chris has been quite open about some of the um, demons he's been facing his, in his yeah. personal yeah. life, as mental health. Um, and I don't think his confidence. Cause I, I saw a fair amount of him last year in Shropshire wrestling lines, which again, we were talking about Riptide. That was kind of like the kind of big fish, small ponds where he could be at his most confidence. I, saw, I actually saw him have a very fun match against um, his fiance Tony Stall. Uh, last year. And I don't think his confidence is quite back up to that level. Uh, I think he's spoken about you know, some issues over the summer, kind of drop, drop, dropped him off a little bit. But what is definitely clear is his technique has improved. And the thing is, you know, it's what they always say about uh, things like footballers or cricketers, you know, your your confidence can come and go. But if you have a solid technique, that will always be there. You can always fall back on those fundamentals. And I think that's what Noah's given him. And I also think what Noah gives him is when he goes over there, he has a structure. Because anybody who goes to English uh, English shows regularly last year, knew the jokes about Ridgeway being late and no showing and that's an option in Japan because you are there and you're in a structure and you're in a system I mm-hmm. mean the same way is benefiting from being in that system where he doesn't feel alone I think Ridgeway is benefiting too the other thing i say is I thought look, I, I thought all three um, of the non-Irish guys looked great in this match. I thought they, no, more than high went over, but I thought they really gave the, the foreigners a shine. I thought Lucky Kid had his working shoes on. Um, yeah. I thought he almost seemed to be inspired by Ridgeway's kicks and tried to one-up him. Didn't quite succeed, but he, he was trying. I do think, you, ha- you know, it has to be said, Lucky Kid taking a fall. When you think, you know, I think you were you are at Carrot, weren't you, James? You, know, you think oh, yeah, yeah. that moment where he, he won 16 carat you know, he's meant to be like the big baby face going going forward for WXW, all the excitement of the possibility of Rise and Schadenfreude fighting for his affections. And he's jobbing to two guys. And no offense, I'm a big fan of Amari, I'm a big fan of Ridgeway. These guys aren't made men. In any British promotion at the moment, and it's Lucky Kid who's dropping a fall. It, it says something about how badly the ball has been dropped on him these past six months.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, we've just been talking about two other guys there, uh, Ridgeway and Omari, who, you know, were, maybe big things were thought of them, and like you noted there, Willie, maybe were not made in a promotion, but yeah, Lucky Kid, someone else who was looking for a bit of redemption. And so I think. As well as the match from last month and, and then this one we've just talked about, um, I think it's a perfect way for OTT. I mean, it'd be quite easy for them to sort of like shotgun people, but I think um, having these modern hype sort of like six-mans on, on most shows is is a great way for the promotion to introduce new people to the crowd and, uh, and get them over yeah. and let them get their shit in and, and look good in, in these six-man matches, and I think... And I think um, you know they should have just mm-hmm. down for a while. I feel uh, Jamesy yeah, because because more modern hype or you know as long as they are they are good at you know showcasing all this talent when they come over to OTT.
2: Yeah, like it says a lot about them that they're able to do that. Like that would normally be the role you would reserve for the veterans on your card. You know, but bring in three new guys and, and kind of make them look good and make them for the crowd. And they did it the month before at the Road 2 show, like you said. Like, we forget, like, these are, they're literal kids. Like, mm. these are guys 19, 20, 21 years of age. And they're able to put on a match like this where, you know, they, they, they manage to shine themselves and they're beloved by the crowds. But they can make guys who, who, who all are much more experienced than maybe apart from Omari, like Ridgeway is way more experienced than them. And Lucky Kid has years on the clock at this stage. And they're making these older guys, like, you know what I mean? And that's pretty much amazing, you know? And they must be such a nice tool to have for Joe Cabray. like where you have these, you know, you, you can almost put your money on the more than hype six man now being a banger of a match in every card, you know what I mean? And it kind of doesn't matter who you bring over, you know, you can bring over three randomers, throw them together there you go, more than hype. You've got 12 to 15 minutes. Just go wild and have a great match. You know what I mean? And like um, the outcome of this match was them having a shot at, at uh, Mustache Mountain at the stadium. Like, And if, if I suppose, if it's politically allowable and if, if WWE will allow one of those guys to take a pinfall, that's going to be a huge moment as well. You know what I mean? And that's been something that's been kind of, we've all been waiting for this more than hype tag team title. You know, the OTT are good at kind of holding off on things sometimes, you know what I mean? And not always giving you the thing you want straight away and that kind of thing. And th- th- there were times maybe when we thought More Than Hype were probably ready to be tag champions. And there were times during the last 12 months where More Than Hype were kind of put in comedy matches and we kind of thought, God, they're not really using them very well at the moment, but they were just cooling them off a little bit so that in the last few months they're suddenly heating them up by putting them in these, in these work-rate matches, you know? And as I said, that's a real great match to look forward to. Like Darren Carney... And Nathan Martin against Moustache, Moustache Mountain. Like, that's that would be a match that would get me to pay for a ticket for that show alone, you know?
1: Can I just add, I think they missed the trick, though. Because what I think they should have done was, although I thought Lucky Kid was good in this match, don't use Lucky Kid. Put somebody in like Dan Maloney and say, have Trent do a promo saying, I am sending over three of my guys. And if you can be three of my guys... You get your title shot. No, make make it make sense in storyline why this is the match that gets some the title shot. Yeah, because you know, oh no, Amari Ridgeway were both booked on Fight Club over the weekend. You can't, you couldn't use Lucky Kid in the storyline because he was in the anti Trans Seven faction, which we'll talk about in a bit later. But I think you could have done something where you actually almost like play ups, you know these are trends. guys are coming over. Because, like, there is stuff that OTT and Fight Club Pro are looking to do. So, we potentially could have done something like that. So, but yes, I, I, I think that Mustache Mountain, more than hype, should be a good match. I also think it's quite likely they'll do the title change because I can't see Mustache Mountain holding more than one indie tag team title at a time.
0: Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see what they do there. And, uh, and moving on to the... The next match, we had uh, the Battle of the Thatchers as Terry Thatcher took on Tim Thatcher. And, um, yeah, I feel like Terry's really been having some uh, great showings on these smaller OTT shows, especially matches with Mark Haskins. And uh, starting off this one, we had a dueling chance of Let's Go Thatcher, Thatcher Stucks, much to, uh, to Big Tim's disgust. And, um, obviously, Tim dominated the most of this match, ragging Terry around the ring almost submitting him in the early moments. Uh, Terry making a fiery comeback, hitting a big splash off the top before Tim quickly took over again. Um, a good match. I mean, I think nice, simple storytelling with uh, with Tim dominating the smaller Terry and the scrappy underdog not rolling over and dying, gradually taking out Tim's knee and and, and looking like um, a fighter in this despite the quick roll-up he won with Jamesy.
2: Yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed this, which would be a surprise to nobody, I suppose. Um it was the, the, the match of the night for me, um, like t- t- two guys who were tremendous in the roles that they were expected to play in this match. You know, Terry, the perennial underdog, and Thatcher can be a, just the nastiest bully in the world if you ask him to be, you know what I mean? And that's exactly what he was here, you know. Um, and... Yeah, you know, when you have two guys who are really good at those roles, it's a match it's a story that tells itself. It's a match that writes itself, you know what I mean? And the usual thing you will get with a Thatcher match is you you'll get that fine detail that I'm always harping on about with wrestlers. Like at one point he had um he had Thatcher in a submission and he he had been in the death match, the the, the death match the the big war games match that that um, Will is going to describe for us in a while on Friday night and at one point he just looked down at the sole of his boot and there were still some thumbtacks Stuck in his yeah. boot and he, he pulled pulled the tack out of his, you know, the, the, his eyes, you know, these great facial expressions that Thatcher has, like his eyes lit up when he saw the Tumtack. And it's like the minute he sees a Tumtack, you kind of know what he's going to do and the crowd realizes what he's going to do. He pulls the tack out of his boot and sticks it into Thatcher, into Terry's ankle. You know, uh, just I can't believe that that was something that they planned. I think it was just one of those lovely opportunistic things that happens in a match and that really good wrestlers will, will make sure to capitalize on, you know, and that's, I've okay. never seen that happen.
1: Jamesy, I hope he got consent to do that first.
2: <laughs> well, it did, it, it was into his, um his kick pad, I think, in fairness. So, I mean, if he gets a career threatening injury from that, I'd be very, very worried about him, you know? um. But yeah, uh, the, the, the little bit of leg selling by Thatcher as well was really good. Like they kind of, they, they, they did a little bit of, like Thatcher's comebacks were him working on, on, on um, Tim's leg. And then the finish kind of came from Thatcher ha- again, had Terry in a, in a submission, but because his leg was hurting him so much, he kind of had to release the grip momentarily and he kind of clutches at the leg. And that just gives Terry the chance to roll him up. You know what I mean? So, That's that kind of stuff. That's what I want for my wrestling. Simple, logical wrestling, everything that makes sense. And, you know, Thatcher, Terry, Tim Thatcher may be the most generous guy in wrestling in terms of he he just doesn't care about jobbing to guys. He doesn't care about jobbing to a relatively lowly guy in an Irish promotion. You know what I mean? And puts him over. And it's a nice win for Terry maybe to go after that NLW title again, you know.
0: What do you feel like, um, sorry, do you feel like um, Terry, though, will make the transition to the bigger shows? Or do you feel like his uh, place is um, sort of like being the guy on these smaller shows?
2: I think he's a guy that he's earned his stripes at this stage. You know what I mean? And, and like he's over. He's, he is liked by the fans and he's over and that kind of thing, you know, and like you would feel like he at the very least deserves a chance to be on one of those big shows and see what happens, you know. Um, I do think you can maybe get one more match out of him and Haskins and finally have him overcome the odds and beat Haskins for that title, you know. Um, but you know, it's the kind of thing where again, it's just logistics, isn't it? Making sure you can get Haskins on a big show and that yeah. kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, like I would, I would say, you have to give these guys a chance, you know what I mean? And it's, 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 he has a connection with the fans, you know what I mean? And I think he's the kind of guy that even if you didn't know him, his, he, it's very obvious who Terry Thatcher is, you know, like five minutes into one of his matches, there's nothing complicated. You get it. Like this guy is a scrappy underdog. And I think fans will always kind of cheer for a guy like that and get behind him. So, like, I think, yeah, I think you have to give him a go at least.
1: I, to me, I, that's why I thought it was really clever at the finish because this wasn't like a fluke roll-up. He'd earned a roll-up. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Tim had injured his knee. And because he'd injured his knee, he could not apply this submission move. He had to release it. He exposed a opportunity and Terry took it. Like that's, a, that's, that's like he earned it. He earned it. He helped injure Tim's knee and he took advantage. But what that gives you, if Terry wins the gender neutral title, Tim can come back and say, you only beat me because my knee was injured. I'm going to kill you in a rematch. And that sets up a first offence. So Terry, I think it's really clever booking. Mm-hmm. I the match was really fun, really fun grappling. I thought he didn't get lost in the grappling, which I think sometimes can happen with grappling-centric matches. Um, I thought uh, Tim was playing a really nasty guy, which you don't get to see often um, in wrestling because the promotions where he's commonly booked over here, he's so beloved. But he was just great being a, like this nasty guy, just beating up um, his poor near namesake.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely uh, echo what you two guys said. Definitely uh, worth checking out, especially if you've never seen uh, Terry Thatcher before. Definitely uh, a talent to keep an eye on. And uh, moving on, we had uh, a three-way match between Callum Black, Curtis Murray, and Scotty Davis. Uh, I feel like it's it's been a while since we saw uh, Curtis on the sh- on the show. His heel gimmick with uh, Stephen Carvel, who, who joined him at ringside. Uh, even getting the Who Are You chance from the crowd. And... Uh, yeah, he quickly got eliminated, this one, even though Carvell was trying to uh, push it into his favour. And we ended up uh, getting a one-on-one between uh, Black and Scotty Davis and uh, some great exchanges between these two. Uh, quite a short match, but the last five minutes between Black and Davis were uh, great exchanges, suplexes, and Black hitting some some really sick lariats, uh, and Davis ended up winning by s- submission, I mean... Do you think uh, OTT are going to do a bit more with the title now? Has it seemingly been forgotten about for a while here, Jamesy?
2: Yeah, like, I mean, the the Curtis Murray reign with that title has really been a bit of a disaster. Like, um, like Terry Thatcher had had done an awful lot of work to build that title up, like was having having all those really good main events in the ringside club kind of became the king of the ringside almost. And then it was really strange the way they did it. Like they did it on the on the pre-show to one of the all female shows. Um, They put a few men's matches on and they kind of had Curtis win the title in a kind of a hastily arranged match there. And it was very low key and very, very hard to understand. Like a lot of us have been watching Curtis and kind of waiting for him to improve and waiting for him to get better. And if anything, he's a guy that uh, in his time in OTT, he's nearly gotten worse. You know what I mean? Like I remember him on very, very early contender shows and being, feeling really positive about him and thinking like he had the makings of a really good high flyer. And it just... He stagnated for a while and then like he he started having some terrible botches and like he became almost a laughing stock amongst OTT fans by the end there of of his reign as champion. Like the title disappeared. It was like OTT got big behind him and put the title on him, gave him a few matches and then lost faith in him completely, I think, because he he had a match at the ringside club. I don't know. Did you see it, Martin or Will, um, against a fellow Northern Irish wrestler called Gavin Fitz? Um, no, I
0: didn't see that one. No.
2: Oh, like it was—it was really. It's one of the worst matches I've ever seen in OTT, and like it wasn't that it was botches or anything like that. It was two young lads going in there doing their best impression of every single New Japan wrestler you could possibly think of. Like, so they were mm-hmm. in the first five minutes, they were doing Okada, Rainmaker, reversal sequences. They were like Canadian destroyers, left, right, and center. They were like every big New Japan match for the last two or three years, they were trying to do an impression of the closing stretch of it. Like it was, they were doing the Shibata Okada stuff. They were doing Kelly Omega knee strikes. And it was just like, I looked over at the, at the the sound booth where Joe Cabrera is often sitting and you could just see him sitting there with a, with a face like thunder on him kind of going, (laughs) you know, this isn't the match that we discussed with these guys to have. It was like, they went into business for themselves or something like that and just decided to go mental and put on a match that they thought was good. But like, it was it was one of the most bizarre experiences. Like we were all just sitting in the crowd, looking at each other, going, "What on earth is this match like?" You know what I mean? And I think that was the point where they lost faith in Curtis, and you could see it here. Like he was jobbed out within two or three minutes. He was he was pretty much an afterthought in the match. Um, there was another incident in the north of Ireland recently, and you might have heard the commentary kind of alluding to it. Where um, I think Curtis has his own promotion now up there, and he. Um, they did a spot on one of the shows where he took a series of unprotected chair shots, and the day after that show, Joe Cabray kind of put some very thinly veiled sub tweets about people booking themselves in matches and not knowing what they're doing and, and being irresponsible with their health and that kind of thing. And it was clearly aimed at that match. And even the even the commentary here kind of mentioned it as well. Like, and it was a bit kind of like you feel like this is the end of Curtis in the promotion at this point. It, like you know, usually the champion would be. The guy may be taking the final pinfall. He'd make it past the first fall and it would be the champion and someone else. They jobbed him out here within a couple of minutes. And it was just it was like, OK, you're gone. Now let the real wrestlers kind of go for the title almost, you know. And as you said, like the, the stuff between Scotty and, Scotty and Callum was was really good stuff. Like those two guys are kind of I think they're best friends and they've, they've, they've come up and they've come up in training for many years together. And uh, you could tell you could tell they had a lot of good chemistry. And I love the finish as well where Scotty had had Callum in, in the submission hold and he reached for the ropes with his arm and Scotty grabbed the arm and then he tried to go for the leg and he tied the leg off. It was like one of those Zack Sabre Jr. I don't even watch you'd call it like one of these crazy Zack yeah. submissions where every limb is tied up, you know, and um, Yeah. And as I said, like, it's, it's, you're putting it on Scotty Davis now, who's the hot guy in Irish wrestling. I, I kind of feel like, is he almost above this title at this stage? Like, to me, it's the contender's title. You know what I mean? And like, to me, Scotty should be maybe a main eventer in OTT by this point. So, and like, in fairness to them, it's, they kind of had to call an audible on it because people pulled off this show. Like, this match was originally meant to be Ridgeway, Callum and Curtis. And you'd imagine in that situation, Maybe Callum was going to get the title, but then because of people, I think Ophidian and Solo Darling had to pull out of the show at the last minute. So they rearranged the whole card and it ended up with Scotty in the match and Scotty winning the match. So there's no way that was the original plan, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, they they need a good stable champion now defending that title on all the shows and they need to put a bit of respect on it. like Because I think people... Just by association, by the fact that Curtis was holding the title, kind of lost respect for the title itself. And that's that's not good. In a promotion, that really values its titles usually and prides itself on people having good, strong runs with their belts usually, you know.
0: Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because it was uh, that... Uh... That three man team, what, what they call more than 100, and it was Scotty Davis, Michael May. The GS100, yeah. Yeah, and like they've really, you know, gone on leaps and bounds, and he's just regressed and regressed. Well, yeah. I, um, I mean, taking the positives from this match, I'd, I'd definitely love to see um, a longer match between Callum Black and uh, Scotty Davis. I mean, they could have some uh, oh, yeah. belters over yeah. the title if, uh, if Scotty's going to have a, a long reign, and then maybe. We introduce stature into that mix, so yeah, certainly some interesting things he could do with that title lift. Davis is going to be having it for a long time, and uh, just there's... one, thing,
1: just one thing on that term, Martin. To me, I I didn't get a chance to see this match, but I do wonder. I've been I, my conspiracy theory for OTT for a while, is it's a slow heel turn for Devlin on purpose? He will beat Star. And then they all move to maybe in March next year, the Devlin Davis match, mm. where Davis becomes a new Irish ace. So if you give Davis this title, not only that, but you give him this title after he had to be a late addition because Devlin screwed up the match order <laughs> in the tabletop mm. convention. And you have, Dev, uh, you have Davis as a fighting champion doing the small shows that Devlin doesn't do anymore, yes, that leads yes. into that storyline of champion versus champion, Davis versus
0: Devlin. Yeah, that's certainly something very interesting. I I always had it as a David Star going over for that uh, fifth anniversary show. But yeah, certainly something uh, very interesting could come out of that one. But I mean, before we get into talking about the uh, the big show at the end of the month, we we got uh, the Kings of the North against the Filthy Generation on this show. Uh, Filthy Generation, Stevie Boy and Aspen Face from ICW. Obviously, Kings of the North getting a huge ovation here. Uh, Coventry playing up there, Corbin coming back quickly from his injury. I mean, this was a Kings of the North special, brawling all over the venue, bashing ten bells of shit out of each other. I mean, I know it's not for everyone, but I always enjoy these Kings of the North matches, Um they're never going to be having five-star classics, but always fun whenever I, whenever I watch any of their matches. Uh, main talking point about this one, after uh, they after picked up the victory over the two Scottish guys, um, and obviously early this year they lost a losing ever-wrestles in Dublin match against uh, British Strong Style earlier in the year, Corbin uh, got on the mic after saying they wanted back in Dublin and they would be going back, and the screen flashed up a graphic of a... Uh, Kings of the North, uh, be the God for the fifth anniversary show, and I mean, James, what are your thoughts on this uh, Loser Leaves Dublin stipulation? I, I always thought it was weird going into that match at the time, and and I almost certainly thought it was never going to last.
2: Yeah, like you, I I never thought it was going to last, but you know, we've come to expect. Logic from OTT, and we've come to expect good booking and good storytelling. And this just felt really clumsy to me, to be honest. Like his 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 promo was a bit—I don't really know what he was saying. Like it was a bit kind of garbled. And he basically the gist of it was that they lost a match, and we're told you can never wrestle in Dublin again. And then he kind of got on the mic and said, we're coming to Dublin. <laughs> <I> know, <yes. laughs> they just they just told us we're coming back to Dublin. And then within seconds, the graphic came up on the screen and it was a bit like, is that it? Could you not think of a better way to kind of reverse mm-hmm. the step? Could you not have built up a match where, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just this this didn't sit well with me, you know, and if we're going to sit here, and wax lyrical about OTT's great booking, then it's only right that we call out things like yeah. this. It just came across as clumsy and rushed. And, you know, as I said, we all, none of us believed in our hearts that that they were gone forever from Dublin. You know what I mean? But, like, I don't know. The it just didn't
0: need it, though, did it, in the first place? I mean, it was big enough having uh, Kings of the North as a as a three-piece again for one night only, taking on British Strong Style for the belts without them needing exactly. the stipulation in the first yeah. place. <clears throat> And it was kind of, that that was even thrown
2: onto us at the very last minute, if I remember. You know what I mean? So it just—I don't—I suppose it. Maybe they were—I suppose going into that match, nobody believed that that British Strong Style would win because number one they were an NXT team, and number two nobody believed that, that the Kings of the North would leave Dublin. You know what I mean? So like it, it gave us the shock win, I suppose. But then they kind of booked themselves into a corner where they had a, an act that couldn't wrestle in Dublin, but they also had an act they wanted to put in this match with Guerrillas of Destiny. And I mean, that, that's not even that long ago. W- w- when was that match in the stadium where they lost?
0: March mm-hmm. M- April time.
2: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's not even that long, you know what I mean? And it's just, as I said, just a, a rare occasion where OTT's booking kind of caught up with them a little bit and, and didn't make any sense. And as I said, we kind of have to call these things out when they're not good, as well as kind of raving about how great they are all the time, you know.
1: Yeah, I, used to, I thought that step was really clever, because I thought what that was setting themselves up for was Kings of the North win the titles back in Belfast.
2: And then, and, it's then like, and then they'd have to be on shows, yeah
1: you have to let us back into Dublin because yeah. we are now your tag champions again, and but we get to the you know determine terms etc et etc cetera, et, cetera, et cetera so yeah i I don't know if they changed their mind, and for actually more than hyperboest buzz would rather them get the uh, mustache mountain uh, rub um because to be honest like. I would probably see more than hype against Gorilla's of Destiny. I think that'd be a better match. It's a more natural styles mix.
0: Yeah, I guess so. But I suppose, it's like you say, if they are thinking, you know, we want to push uh, more than hype to the next level, then, you know, them beating Mustache Mountain. But still, it, it, the whole match from the March show, it, it's like, you know, if you haven't thought of a way to get um, Kings of the North back on the Dublin shows, and then also you've got the tricky thing of you know having to get Trent Seven Tyler Bate to lose a match outside of NXT UK. You know it, it just I know that it was it was a big surprise and you know and it got a huge reaction for the evening. But then coming out of that, there wasn't there wasn't a great deal for them to move forward with, was there? I didn't think Jamesy.
2: No, like and I mean you know everyone in that stadium popped when when British Strong Style won because it was just such a what-the-fuck moment, like, you know what I mean? None of us could believe it, you know what I mean? But then when the dust settled, and we would have talked about it on this show, we started to think, like, well, this isn't great because we have an NXT UK act now holding our tag titles, and, you know, no promotion has full control over NXT UK acts, you know,
1: and the Who only did way... NXT UK?
2: Yeah, and the only way that, that, that it will have been worthwhile is if a young team like more than hype get to beat them clean in the middle of the ring and and if that's the outcome of the whole thing then that was totally worth it and you would say hats off to OTT for engineering that happening like but if it becomes a thing where they they end up having to switch the titles in a kind of a a four-way tag match where where british strong style don't take the fall then what was you know like where where they can't where they basically can't beat them clean in the middle of the ring then it, then it wasn't worth it you know what i mean and and promotions have to get away from booking for the pop on the night with NXT UK
0: talent.
2: Yeah, the moments and getting that big pop. That's not worth it. Like, as I said, if more than hype, a young Irish team, an up-and-coming team, get to beat those guys clean, then that's brilliant. And that's what you want, you know, and that's using NXT UK talent the way you would like them to be used and using their star power to make your own stars. But I just doubt it. You know, I'm looking at that match and I'm thinking, will WWE let even a Trent Seven do a job to, to, to Darren Carney or Nathan Martin, to two teenagers from Ireland? I don't know. I really yeah. don't know.
1: What I will say is I've seen Dan Maloney beat Dragunov and Jordan Devlin in Fight Club Pro. Okay. So I could see them letting Moreland Hyde win. I think there's weird stuff going on with Progress, why it's more difficult for them to get WWE UK guys to job. So I, I could see it happening. I also wouldn't be surprised if those two tag matches weirdly get merged together, and it becomes a wild four-way for the tag titles um, yeah. at some point. Um, yeah, um, I, it's a weird one because uh, Mustache Mountain's done a few appearances for OTT since that uh, that that title victory. I mean, it's, it's virtually been the only place to see Tyler Bate wrestle. Um, before <laughs> the match but yeah it's probably time for them to uh, drop these titles and hopefully it's clean to modern hype
0: yeah. I mean they've certainly stacked up this 5th anniversary show it's got, a, it's got a mouth-watering card obviously they're a huge rematch between Jordan Devil and David Starr we have got Kings of the North making the return to Dublin against the GOD, modern hype against Mustache Mountain, and then the return of Katie Harvey, who got a thunderous reception last month uh, to face OTT Women's Champion Valkyrie. So, certainly lots to be excited about about that uh, show next month. And I'm, you know, OTT haven't let us down yet in these in these big match scenarios. So uh, yeah, really looking forward to that one. But um...
1: you know why the Pats have up so much, don't you? What's that? Because they they were worried about uh, Irish fans travelling to Birmingham to watch uh, Nigel Ben's uh, Nigel Ben come out of retirement. <laughs> <laughs> same same
2: weekend. We same. we might send Steve Collins over to fight him. Get him out <laughs> for retirement as well. <laughs>
0: Oh, God, the less said about that Nigel <laughs> Ben comeback, the better. I mean, this guy that guy was a hero to me as a kid. Like, why is oh. he just spitting on me? Well, oh. that, you could go into that whole debate about boxers not being the right, you know, Exit strategy, leaving boxing, and you know it's quite it, a lot of sports stars I've spoken about. You know, leaving uh, sports, big sports, behind and suffering depression and stuff. But come on, Nigel. I mean, no one wants to see you back in the ring. It, well, how old is he? Fifty-five. They're trying to claim he's got the best cardio of any like fifty-five-year-old ever. But even that's like not going to make a good boxing match, is it? Will really. I
1: I saw Randy Couture fight live when he was I think forty-nine. I saw him met, uh, fight in Manchester. And even the best forty-nine-year-old is still old, you know. And that's and obviously Nigel Ben's got six years on Randy Couture, and has got more miles on the clock. Um, Yes, like when I got that because I got that through like a week ago because I'm on the because it's in like it's in the NEC complex. I'm on their mailing list, Mm. and I got that through. And I've got to be honest, I thought it was like one of like either his son or his. Grandson, I was like, it was <laughs> some <grandson. laughs> descendant of his who was making who was making their debut, and I was like, oh no, this is horrible. Oh, I'll no. be at, I'll be at cage warriors that day, so I don't. <laughs> It's freak
2: show boxing, isn't it? It's yeah. it's like one of those it's like one of those Bellator matches, you know, like where you're just putting people in the ring because it's it's like meme boxing or something. It's crazy stuff.
1: I saw I once I watched watched on uh, Premier Sports, which uh, James you will know, good Irish channel. Um, I watched on Premier Sports um, Evander Holyfield boxing at an Indian reservation. I think about four year, four or five years ago. So, yeah, but but the end of boxing careers is always very sad.
0: Yeah, it really yeah. is. But um, I mean moving back on to uh less about boxing and uh I mean OTC. Yeah. Sport. <laughs> <laughs> OTC weren't the only promotion holding uh show this past weekend. Fight Club Pro held their eighth annual Project Mayhem show on the twenty seventh and twenty eighth, uh, featuring an almost hour long death house match. I mean, Will, you went to this one live, Where uh, what were some of the highlights of uh, of these shows from Fight Club Pro?
1: Well I mean obviously we're going long but like really there is only one highlight which is that big cage of death house match so to give a bit of history death house started back at project mayhem six um as a tag team uh cage death match then at project mayhem seven it became a scramble uh death match in a cage both times the cage was revealed and the first time it would we knew the match was taking place, but in the Star Wars they dropped it, they dropped the curtain down and revealed a purpose-built arena. The second time the fact that the match was taking place had not been advertised. They had they had done the advertised main event, then Jimmy Havoc's music plays, and everybody has to rush to the revealed uh deaf match arena. This time, it was a War Games death match, And what they did, which I thought was quite clever, they just normally with Fight Club Pro at the moment, it's three matches, intermission, three matches, sometimes an intermission before the main event. This time, they did four matches, long intermission, where they basically constructed this, this death match arena um, around the normal ring. And then you came back in to this match, not only was it a 58-minute match. And as I said on Graps and Claps, I went to the Ogden's afterwards. They told me it was 58 minutes. I did not believe them. This match flew by. I'm not somebody who likes long matches. Um, I think it's going to – pro wrestling is going to bit prog rock, to be honest. And um, we all need to kind of cut it back and, like, get keep it simple, simpler. But this is not feel It's 58 minutes. But this was succeeded by an 11-minute video package. Um, they, they released some of this online beforehand, the kind of contrasting uh, Martin Zaki, who is the co-owner of Fight Club Pro, and Chris Brooks, who is either Schadenfreude. But this was a 11 minutes, and it just told you about the rise of Schadenfreude. And the interesting thing with Schadenfreude is obviously now... With Schadenfreude and Grapp's, Schadenfreude and Friends and Schadenfreude Graps. it is kind of the peak meme brand. It is the ironic wrestling brand. But when it began in Fight Club Pro last year, the whole point of it was Brooks and others trying to move away from that and to do something they could sink their teeth into. Brooks was coming off, which was a failed Winners Fight Club Pro champion, I think, you know, the two two and a half years I've been going to fight for pro regularly, putting the title on him when they did was the biggest booking mistake they made. It came out of left field, they they didn't book him properly as a champion, they didn't protect him. They took that failure and they built this storyline and you saw it emerge on a month by month basis. You know, he cheated to beat Millie McKenzie, so the promotion was responds by bringing in the biggest, baddest woman to dethrone him. Satomura dethrones him, defeats him again. He then seals her title. While she's away, he's keeping her title hostage as the promoter desperately tries to get it back off him. He recruits people. He recruits Walter. He recruits Carl Fletcher. He recruits Mark Davis, Timothy Thatcher. Jonathan Gresham gets uh, grandfathered in. They call themselves Schadenfreude. You build this idea of this faction going against the promotion. They had some wobbly minutes at moments, particularly when they had to turn Walter babyface so they could write him off. But these past few months they've done some really hot angles. No Walter coming back to destroy Schadenfreude, Schadenfreude attacking and uh, cutting uh, Zaki open after they defeated the Sendai Girls team. British Strong Style coming back uh, to clear the ring of Schadenfreude and uh, Trent Seven kind of laid a challenge, uh, reiterate the challenge I've been laid down, and it all built to this. And what what I loved about this match was there were clear stakes, but in like a quite old fashioned way. Because I think one one of the things that people don't understand that you know in the seventies and eighties. When you got your big blow off match, everybody knew who would win because that was the whole point. You would pay your ticket to see the baby faces win. Every, uh, everybody knew Shannon was winning. Like the bookings that these guys had had started to leak out, so it was quite clear both Pro were going to win. But they just took you on this hour long epic. There was no that they, they 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 paced it well. Some of the you no know, again it's war games. Some of the earlier um, you know, bringing people in were a bit quicker. As they got more people in the ring, they gave they gave the people more time before bringing somebody else out. The the arena they had built was really well constructed. They were able to kind of pick their spots in terms of doing the big sick death match spots. The the thing I thought was the Two cleverest things they did in terms of the booking. The first one was it's obviously because of Mark Davis not being there, they had to put somebody else on the Schadenfreude side. I suggest I actually put on Twitter, I thought they could have done Amari, not necessarily have him join a uh Schadenfreude, but just give him a a heel moment. But instead of El Fantasmo, that got big pop. The so an issue with that is you is you now have Chris Brooks, Aussie Open, El Fantasmo, Lucky kid all oh, really popular guys in the ring. And what they then do is that the one guy in Fight Club Pro that could keep the Fight Club Pro side babyface is Trent Seven. And Trent Seven's the last guy to come out of Fight Club Pro. He comes out. He can't do a death match. You know, WWE UK rules. So they have, they, they do some brawling outside. They put him through a table. He's not in the death house. They locked the cage. The match beyond that started. Schadenfreude has a five on four advantage. No, class, classic war games psychology. The heels cheat. The baby faces out of finally getting the even contest. And I'm standing there thinking, that like, that's really clever. But I, can, I am starting. They, they've been isolated the throughout for, for Schadenfreude. I'm just like, These chants are starting to hit a crescendo where they're going to turn on the promotion. And then, boom, Jimmy Havoc comes out. Literally the moment I'm thinking, they need to do something or they're going to lose a crowd. Jimmy Havoc comes out. Because of the two previous Death Houses, it makes complete sense in a sense of him making special appearances had been a Death House thing. He was also part of the match back in 2018, that led to the birth of Schadenfreude. And because he'd been the partner, he'd been the partner of Mark Davis and Travis Banks when uh, Carl Fletcher turned on them to start the ball rolling with Schadenfreude. And then after Jimmy Havoc comes in, the fans are just completely with Fight Club Pro. You get this long stretch, this long finishing sequence where even though, You've got five of the most popular wrestlers in Brit Res. The fans are cheering on the promotion against the Outsiders. You get a wild spot. They literally give Dan Maloney a drill to drill people. They 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 have Timothy Thatcher's pecs be too powerful to be hurt by mere staples. And then they put over Dan Maloney because he's the guy who's probably going to get the Fight Club Pro Championship and Freuder loses. The next day, they write off Schöderfreude. They do what Progress didn't have the balls to do. Progress, when, they, when British Strong Style lost um, the titles in 2017, two weeks later, they had British Strong Style come back out and say, oh, we're really joking. we mates now, eh? Only a storyline. Here, they had Schöderfreude lose the tag titles, Obviously, Davis couldn't defend his world title, but they had him lay his world title down. They had him say goodbye. I, I just thought it was brilliant. I thought it was a great capstone towards been a really interesting storyline over the past 18 months. And it's, it's, it's easy to start invasion storylines. It's very difficult to stop them. And in this climate, how they've been able to get the anti-authority, anti-WWE faction not turn the promotion heel... Is remarkable.
0: I'm glad you broke it all down for me there because, to be honest with you, obviously not going to all the Fight Club Pro shows live, and I do remember that first Death House and really enjoying it, and uh, I remember it, um, the shock of it and the crowd really getting into it, but as far as trying to keep up with him on VOD and then obviously the Schadenfreude uh, Tuesday Night Graps takeover obviously doesn't appear on VOD, so you miss missing out if you don't go to those live shows. I just feel like... Fight Club Pro are very much um, a, a live product. I feel Jamesy more than something you can catch up on VOD.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I suppose that's that's my issue with Fight Club Pro. And I, I suppose what I'd like to ask Will is, why does he think that people love the like? The live experience of Fight Club Pro, all I hear is like the the buzz you see about Fight Club Pro is very much concentrated around the weekends when they run. Like you don't see people putting gifts up of the VOD when it comes out. You don't see that, you know, the way with other promotions, you'll have the conversation about the live show. And then the conversation will start up again once the VOD kind of trickles out and people start seeing it on VOD and that kind of thing. So I kind of see Fight Club Pro as having a live event. Lots of buzz around that. Lots of people on my timeline going to it, raving about it, and then radio silence until the next one. And what is it about the about Fight Club Pro and that like you clearly love the promotion, Will, you know, and like the way you've broken that match down sounds incredible. It sounds really well booked and a great achievement on their part to, as you said, stop the promotion from being turned but by the most popular guys in the promotion, you know. Um, but why, when I'm watching on VOD, does the whole thing, it just feels so cold to me on VOD. And it feels... I don't know what it is. I don't know if when you're in the crowd, is there a great atmosphere? Because I don't get the sense of a great crowd atmosphere watching live. I hear you hear this kind of murmur of chat going on amongst people when this match is on. I don't feel like people react to matches all the time in the promotion. Um, Have you any insight into that, Will? Why that might be or what's the reason for it? I think there's a few things there. So I think,
1: first of all, this is a first year Fight Club Pro have seriously tried to be a VOD promotion. Because <clears throat> they were very much, until this year, they were almost like the British PWG in the sense of, you no, know, even now they still have a DVD business. Even now they're still putting all their their shows on DVDs. I think they're the only British promotion still doing that. Can 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 you guys think of anyone who's still putting out DVDs?
0: Uh, I think Tidal's still putting DVDs out in Leeds, yeah.
1: But also, so so until this year, you had to buy individual shows, yeah. So you'd have to pay you 10 pounds for a one off show, it was a weekender, so no, 750 for normal shows. So, weekender, the shows to go up to 10 pounds, and you have to pay that times how many times the show would be run. So, I don't think like, I think pro a lot of the books around progress and move Pro is that fan base that they've built up over time that they've been watching on their VOD. I don't think there is that fan base of Fight floor Pro. I think the fan base are the people who go to live shows, um, at least sometimes. You know, there'll be people who pick up the VOD who have been picking up the VOD when they couldn't go to shows, but until this year, it's the people who are going to live shows. They do have a VOD service now. It's a pretty good VOD service. Um you know, it's like I think it's like five fifty a month. So it's on Vimeo, which I think is superior service, superior share personally. And they, and they, it's on the quickest turnaround because they want to release the VOD when the DVDs come out, which you know, makes all the sense in the world. You know, you you don't want to undercut your DVD business when you're selling your DVDs for 15, you know, fifteen twenty quid. Um, but they but they they come out in a couple of weeks' time, but I don't think there's been that habit of people watching Fight Club Pro on VOD. Now, in terms of why the atmosphere doesn't come across, I I can't say because like when I watch the VOD back, which I, I do usually, I can remember what it felt like to be in the crowd. Yeah. And so like I can I can almost hear like the murmur of the atmosphere and I know that atmosphere is there. There are matches when people are talking to each other. No, I thought the first, no, the first, most of the first half of that show was very much like that. But I think you don't get the matches when people snap and you get a really big atmosphere. I will have to look back and listen to some of those big atmospheric matches and see why it's not coming through. I wonder if it's, um, it might just be the, the lack of commentary. And this is, this is what we were talking about earlier like the fact that people don't pick up on the storylines, the fact that people don't feel excited about what they're presenting. Maybe you do need the person in people's ear going, rah, 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 by the way, X, Y, Z, to kind of get that across. But also, more philosophically, and this is, this is kind of selfish, because like you guys, I'm based in the Midlands. I don't have many personal commitments on a day-to-day basis. At the end of the day, I think too many promotions privilege the um, VOD experience over the live experience. Even someone like WXW, which me and James are going to, one of the biggest promotions in Europe, there is no way they're making more money off their VOD than they are their live ticket sales just because of how many people they fit into that building and how much those people are paying for those tickets. Um, and I think sometimes with Progress and Pro, the tailors wagging the dog. Um, I think it's, it's great. I, I don't know. I think Fight Pro gets a lot of experience, right? I'd rather them get that right than compromise that to get the VOD experience right. The other, the other thing I should say is that I don't go to the Gifford very often, but a lot of people do. And I think that creates a strong sense of community as well. Yeah. Um, I, so should, I, I should explain sorry. what it is. So there's a pub that the wrestlers and the fans go to after all Fight Club Pro shows. I've, in the two and a half years I've been going to Fight Club Pro, I've only been twice. Um, but that I think that does create that sense of community for people as well. And one of the things that I –
2: another theory I have is do you feel like when they moved to the bigger venue that that they lost a little bit of the unique character that Fight Club Pro maybe had two or three years ago? Like, do you remember when Fight Club Pro felt like a really grimy and gritty promotion when they were in the smaller venues? Um, And that was very much their calling card, you know, like like I remember that – Do you remember the rise of Travis Banks and Fight Club Pro mm-hmm. and that brilliant storyline that they had. Um, when Sammy Callahan was over all the time and he was having those great brawls with everybody and that kind of thing. And like that to me is probably the Fight Club Pro that I liked the most as a person watching from afar on VOD. Like I've never been to see their promotion live. And like, I, I feel like maybe by moving to the, to the bigger more echoey kind of arena. It's a bit like OTT moving from the Tivoli. Like there was a certain magic in that, even though it was a shithole of a venue, like there was magic in it and there was atmosphere and it gave the promotion a unique feel. And I always felt like those smaller, grimier venues, you know, it was, it it, it kind of got its name from almost having a fight club feel like the movie fight club and that kind of thing, you know? And I feel now, as you said, they're kind of a bit like a PWG where they're, they're bringing in, big names and big talents. And yes, the Friday storyline was amazing, but a lot of it feels to me like just yeah. matches in a big, bigger... Now, I understand them. you move to a bigger arena, you sell more tickets, you make more money. I, I get it. Like, I get why you would do it as a business. But for me, as as a person enjoying the product, it's gone a little bit soulless from that point of view. And a lot of it outside the and Friday storyline is just matches happening in a kind of a PWG kind of a way. And, and it, it just kind of leaves me a little bit cold, I think.
1: It's interesting because, like, so I, when I moved to, I moved to Wolverhampton in 2017, so I just caught the end of the fiction era. Yeah. So I saw a couple of shows there and I, you, you literally, it was literally getting to the point where it was becoming, like, really inaccessible. Like, I took a friend to the first fiction show I went to and they said they would never go again because they just felt their personal space has been invaded. And I remember talking to Martin Zaki, who was a co-promoter and he was saying like, they also have real issues about trying to, to accommodate disabled fans who wanted to go because it was getting so cramped. Um, The weird thing is, is I I, I did an article for Fights Magazine about Fight Club Pro back at the beginning of 2018. And, the complaints about it losing something because it moves to a bigger venue happened when they moved to the fiction. Because they'd beforehand, they'd been at the Planet nightclub, which was even smaller and even yeah. dingier yeah. and even grimier. And
0: so, no, promotions everyone have. they to- were in the planet, didn't they have everyone behind, like, sort of like chicken wire and stuff? It really, yeah, they yes. really created that sort yeah. of like, yeah. like club underground yeah. club,
1: didn't they? Well, that was when Trent was a shoot MMA fighter. Right. You know, when he was clean shaven and he was all he was all business. If you can believe, yeah. <laughs> <Trent> <laughs> shaven and all business. Um, <laughs> to me, the weird thing is like when they moved to StarWorks and they did great. They did great work trying to make that venue work. I remember doing a show about color hat and I was saying, I. Like, that venue is too rectangular to host wrestling. It just creates so much dead space. But there's only so many fans you can get around a ring and give them sightlines. The new venue, the hangar, is actually smaller than their previous venue. And I think since they moved to the hangar last, last September, they've got back some of that. The fans are on top of the action. They feel a bit closer. <coughs> the one thing you can't mitigate against, I suppose, is a high ceiling that may make the noise um, escape. But, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the Shonen for the storyline. I think they've been able to inject more emotion to their matches. There was a definite issue in that Star Wars era, particularly between, I'd say roughly October, February, where it all felt a bit aimless and there wasn't much storyline development. And I think they almost reacted against that by doing this big, you know, Satomura, the storyline. The thing that I think now is what is the next steps. And I, and I have faith with the promotion of are booking because I think they've earned that. But, you know... Since schadenfreude formed back in June. Last I think it'll be last June. Uh no. Yeah, it will be last June. It was the second show in June. So since last June, there have been two shows not headlined by Schadenfreude. Um, and before schadenfreude joined, Brooks had headlined two, no three out of the last four. So like Brooks, Schadenfreude have been like staples, have been like kind of the linchpins of the Fight Club Pro main event scene since February last year. And I think for for the, for the while they are gone. You no. Know, unless Mark Davis can't make the date, <laughs> and Kyle Fletcher himself are in Ring of Honor, the next Fight Club Pro show. We know Chris Brooks is doing uh, DDT's uh, tournament uh, when the next the November Fight Club Pro show is uh, due. Thatcher, lucky kid, on regulars. What will Fight Club Pro look like without these guys? And it, and it talks about how they became integral to promotion. Like, you know, end of December last year, they lost pretty Strong Style. And I am scratching my head more about what Fight Club Pro looks like without Schadenfreude than I did without British Strong Style, even though one of the members of British Strong Style is literally the co-owner of Fight Club Pro. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think what they're going to do over the next few months is going to be fascinating because they managed to downplay and move away from British Strong Style They've got Mustache Mountain back for how long, who knows. But how they fill the gap that's developed is a real question. And I think it's a real question of the whole scene. Like, What what does the scene look like next year if Brooks is doing four DDT tours? What does the scene look like if Aussie Open are regulars in New Japan's tag division? And particularly if you add in David Starr, um, working for AEW, like we speculated earlier, like uh, it's the old joke. And there's a lot of ruin in the country. The boom is over, but the crash could go a lot, a lot, a lot further down than people think.
0: Well, that is the worrying thing about it. Is you know you have still got guys who can sort of like headline shows and. It will be interesting to see if these guys are moving on and then they're spending less time in the UK who's going to be taking their places and things like that. I mean, we could discuss this sort of subject for hours, but got a couple more things to get to before we uh, bring the show to the close. I mean, most notably, um, it's one of the biggest news stories in BritRest from the past week or so and the small matter of ITV AEW's TV deal and the. Small matter of the channel scheduling of the weekly TV show, Dynamite. I mean, well, you did a fantastic pod on this for the PW Torch and have been all over Twitter chatting this. I mean, what's been going on? As we've seen, there's been so much outrage over this and ITV seemingly had a change of heart today.
1: Yeah, so um, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Like we, we, this, was, this whole conversation has so much more different con- connotations. We recorded yesterday. um in the same in the same way to hastily re-edit my uh my my pro wrestling torch column on this issue when uh ian hamilton texted me that itv had changed their minds um so basically the news came dripped out uh last wednesday thursday that itv would not be showing AEW live um that they would instead be showing uh dynamite on 820 on a Sunday morning and eleven forty-five on a Monday evening, the eleven forty-five screening being the highlights program. Obviously not a very good deal. I think what was the uh what lit the touch paper, <laughs> so I suppose I should clarify literally touch paper that was me and I saw it then shouting on twitter <laughs> 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 was this this thing that Tony Khan put out that he briefed to journalists that the reason why they couldn't do the live streaming was because of um was because of the ad breaks now i did a very angry podcast on personal torch which kind of but it's based on the guts and sense of, no, I know that's not true. Like before I was primarily a pro wrestling journalist back in 2009, 2010, 2011, I was watching so much crappy boxing and MMA that was being shown with all sorts of ad break uh, regimes from, from the States or elsewhere. So I, I knew that wasn't true. Um, and then obviously, as you as you do, as you've done a 40 minute podcast behind a paywall, when it came to the five treat thread, I actually did some research before that and I was able to get the Ofcom regulations and quite clearly prove that the, 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 the maximum number of uh, minutes of adverts you can have in an hour, the maximum number of breaks you can have during a program don't apply to AW Dynamite. If ITV wanted to show it live, they easily could. And so the idea that you couldn't do it due to AFCON, was completely untrue. And I think just about that has been accepted. I was probably wrong to say Tony Cohn was lying. He was probably being lied to. I think he should consider why people are lying to him and what that may say about what his future relationship with ITV may entail. But the good thing is, it's all by the by, because after this big Ferrari, today we had the announcement that they are going to put um, Dynamite on the ITV player uh, from 7pm on uh, Thursday. Within 24 hours, you can get um, Dynamite, and it'll be repeated 11.20 on a Friday on ITV4, what is brilliant about that is it makes a perfect lead-in for Sky uh, for SmackDown on Sky. So if you're a, a British wrestling fan and you just want to kind of sit back and waste four hours watching wrestling, that's your Friday evening sorted.
0: I mean it's a lot better now, isn't it? Because I mean, originally it was it was a bit of a mess. I, I I had no problem with the repeat being on the Sunday morning, but they originally showing the show and it, it was just Why would they never have not shown it on the Thursday, you know, the day after? Because, I mean, like, tons of people have said, you know, wrestling fans are going to find this from other avenues, and then you're essentially going to get nobody watching it anyway.
1: This is the thing I don't understand why. I don't understand what went on. I don't understand what broke down. Obviously, it went off cut half cut Um, um I, I think it was through Ian I saw the schedulers' first tweet and I and I started asking them questions. So I I do think there were negotiations going on. I do think pressure's put on ITV. Um we will see how this goes. I think the one thing I, no, I've been 'cause still I have because
0: V hub's not ideal, is it? It'd be better if it was on an actual channel.
1: It would be. It would be better if they were putting in town on the first day. I don't know why they weren't put it on the first day. The, the, the Torch article I, I, I put up says that the, mis- the thing that we are still left not knowing is what is ITV's attitude to this property? What are they thinking about how important this is? You know, my gut is, is, even with this good news, they're not particularly gung-ho. Um But at least you've now got a platform where AEW, if they put the work in, if they put the muscle in, they can actually turn this into something big. But whatever you do, don't assume ITV's going to do it for you. you no. we talk about boxing. Carl Froch was on ITV. He was having big audiences on ITV. He became a star when he went on to Sky because Sky would actually put the muscle behind him.
0: Well, that's the thing, and I'm looking at um, ITV4 schedule for a Thursday night, and they've got something called uh, mm-hmm. you know, Junk and Disorderly on at, um, uh, on at uh, 9 p.m. so it's about, vintage, about car vintage car stories. stories. And it so they and would I mean, make more sense, James, to, uh, to have the show on and around that time on ITV4 rather than the ITV Player.
2: That's the thing about it. Like, yeah, uh, like I mean, I remember when when we were on this podcast however many months ago when the first AEW um, pay-per-view happened and we were so full of optimism and like the assumption was that it will be live on an ITV TV channel, you know, and we were even so kind of bold as to think, God, like what if, what if they put it on, even if it's late at night, what if they put it on ITV itself, you know, and we kind of felt here is a competitor that can really take on WWE in the TV market in the UK, you know. And it's almost like our expectations were sky high. And then last week when the news came out of what ITV actually had planned to do, they went to rock bottom. And now today everybody's delighted because it's been on the hub. But like if you had told us back then when the first pay-per-view happened that it would be just on ITV hub, we kind of would have been a little bit... Met about it, we would have been kind of thinking, "Oh, no, that's not great." Like, you know, how well does the hub work? How many people have access to the hub? How many people actually will know? Like, how many of the mainstream public will know that they have to go onto this hub to see this wrestling product? See, like, this
1: yes, is a, this is a thing. Is I was really, really bearish. Not even AEW. I kept saying this on Twitter when I get came shout at AEW fanboys that did have been signed. It's like, guys, I'm a British boxing fan. I've been here i've seen amir khan do three million viewers against Paulie imaginali and then get nothing after itv got golden boy to talk about their great new relationship i've seen cole frotch do great ratings against Jean paul pascal and have to go to like a random pay-per-view channel owned by a pawn baron to get his next fights on tv like this is what itv do they'll pick up cheap content but they won't go the extra mile. I thought the idea that ITV would commit 52 weeks a year to a live broadcast was fantasy, um, which is, I think, part of the reason why I got so angry when they pretended it was possible. Mm. It was possible. It was difficult. And that's why ITV were never going to do it, so they shouldn't have got people's hopes up. Because, to me, if you hadn't had the boasting, this is a great deal. Like you, you, it is a two day, two day turnaround on a station that is significantly stronger than any other station that it that that regularly shows pro wrestling. So in in a torch, I actually have the table. So at the moment, we have WWE, Impact, MLW, and from this week uh, AEW to have TV in this country. No, we're not counting the fine network. Sorry, PCW. Um, yeah. and, and what you can get through the uh, British Audience Research uh, Board is the percentage of the total viewing of each month a channel gets. And Sky Main Event actually gets more than, than ITV4. But WWE is very rarely put on Sky main events. It's only when there's something better put on it. But you look, you know, ITV4 is almost double what, say, Impact gets with what Impact's channel, uh, five, Five Star, gets. And it's 10 times what any of the other promotions channels get. Like this is a no, iq four is a big channel um to get on if you get onto a good time slot. And I think like I, de- I think maybe ideally we want it to be ten rather than eleven. But I think eleven is a is is an all right time slot to start off with. Um but it is that thing of they just got people too hyped. They just got people too hyped.
2: And they hyped it up themselves, I suppose, was the issue, you know. Like, I mean, when people see Cody Rhodes talking about Sky's TV deal and saying ours is much better, that lifts the like. They did nothing to assuage that to kind of to kind of bring down people's expectations. Like, the, the hype came from them themselves, you know what I mean? And I think that's probably why people were so disappointed. They they took the promotion at face value and what they said, and they ended up being disappointed by them, you know. And and I think that's like you you need to be complimented on the work you did for this as well, Will. You know what I mean? Because what you did there was serious research that actually, I think what you did basically brought about change in ITV's plans. You know what I mean? Like the, the work you did literally got the attention of Tony Khan, the, the billionaire owner of the company. He literally engaged with you directly on Twitter. So you got the man in charge's attention. He saw that people weren't happy. And then all of a sudden, within a week, they're on the ITV Hub with a far better deal. And I I wonder, like, if, if what you did and the work you did hadn't been done, and if people had just taken them at face value, then would they ever have gone on ITV Hub? And would they have ever have given the British public this decent deal that they have now? You know, and in an era where some of the more prominent wrestling journalists spend their time either pandering to promotions or on the Internet trolling people because they think it's good for business, what you did was some stellar work, amazing work. And like, it needs to be complimented. And we need more people in wrestling doing work like this because it makes it better for people, you know, and literally the work you did, I think has made <laughs> this deal for the British public better. And that needs to be praised and needs to be complimented.
1: Well, I, I, that's very kind of you, uh, James. And I and I really appreciate it. I mean, it's a weird one because this is where uh, I I I still can't, fully let go of my anger with how badly this was handled because it wasn't that difficult. No, like,
0: yeah, it really wasn't, was it? <laughs> um, I,
1: I have to deal with law, my, my shoot job, and I wish the laws that were governing my behaviour um, were this clearly written. Like, it literally was pulling up a document that was five pages long. My Godfrey law governing my word, that was five pages long. And you had to read it. And it was quite clear. Um and and I and I think there is I think there is an issue of people not doing that desktop research. And like, there's another example um this week, not about British wrestling, but I think it's a similar example where I think it's Lucha Blog, um researched the Japanese trademark offices website.
2: Oh yeah, the L O J thing, yeah.
1: Find out who actually owns. The Lij trademark, because what everybody had been saying was Similau owns it, but he was able to dig through those files and find out that that wasn't true. And it's the same thing where I, back in May, dug through Camden's public premises licenses registry to find out it wasn't true that there was no medical practitioner on site at the at the venue where Silver King died. Like there's a lot of stuff you can do by doing a desktop research and it doesn't often get done. But as I said, like, I was actually saying this to several people. I've written 3,000 word articles. I've done two hour podcasts, including this one. And a five treat thread that took me about half an hour to put together is a thing that blew up. I mean, (laughs) 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 that that is sod's law. Okay.
2: Maybe, maybe the Leeds are a draw after all.
0: <laughs> yeah, just to reiterate what Jamesy said. Yeah, certainly fantastic work from yourself there, Will. And uh, yeah, so it'll be we... interesting to see what ITV do because um, outside of the sort of Simon Carl produced stuff, they do tend to get bored of things pretty easily. I mean, yeah. they've had countless sort of like Saturday Time. Saturday tea time and Saturday prime time shows where they just get bored, seemingly get bored of it easily and then like all fuck it off after one series. So it will be interesting to see if Can this I... is doing well on box office, how they, if they'll just keep up with the TV series and maybe even put them on a channel on the Thursday night.
1: Can I just say two more things? This So, um, and I've, I've said this directly to people in AUW. what they should consider this is a proof of concept to get a real station to pick them up. And I know ITV has great reach. I know they have so many viewers, but they don't invest in programming like this. But if they could do three, six, nine months a year of decent ratings on ITV, if they could then persuade Sky to take a chance on it and to put them on, I think that could be a game-changer. Like, mm-hmm. I, And I've said this repeatedly. I think AEW would do better on... no In terms of taking the fight to WWE, I think Sky would mean more than ITV. Because Sky... Like Sky's not quite where it was because it doesn't have the relationship with the sun that it once had um, due to change of ownership. But I think uh, Sky, you know, it is a platform to get a, uh, combat, a combat sports property over. Just look at what they've done with Eddie Hearn unboxing lately do you thing, just because just because it's a really nerdy point and it fascinates me as one of those weird brexiteers that finds european union interesting um ian hamilton of Backbody drop had a really interesting thing about how the AEW plus subscription service falls foul of the single digital markets and this is this is a really fascinating thing. And I really feel sorry for AEW for this because this would have gone completely under the radar if it wasn't for the fact that Dynamo was launching this week. The single digital market is the idea that if you are a cosmopolitan man about Europe who is going across from one European Union country to another, you should be able to take your tablet or your phone or your laptop with all the digital content you have, Board in your country of origin, and when you get to your hotel or when you're relaxing on your coach journey, you should be able to fire up your digital device and you should be able to access the digital contents that you purchase in your country of origin. The idea being is it just, it's just a way of making traveling across Europe a bit more pleasant, a bit less frictionless. And what this means is you can no longer say, No, Jamesy, you're in Germany. You bought this thing in Ireland, but the service you bought it from Ireland no longer has doesn't doesn't have the rights to show us in Germany. You can't get access to it. Instead, they need to take verification of your address of your debit card, and if they can prove you're Irish, they can let you access stuff. That a German can't get in Germany, but you can because you're an Irish, you're, you're Irish and you get access to your Irish media, even if you're temporarily in Germany. Now, why is this important in the context of pro wrestling? AEW Plus obviously launches this week. It is not available in Germany because they're about to negotiate a deal for AEW to be on something in Germany. I suspect a zone. Because of that, you have a bunch of British people who are travelling over, British and Irish people who are travelling over to uh, Germany for WXW Tag League. People were trying to, people were inquiring whether they could access their Fight AEW plus subscription. Fight said no. That is technically against EU regulations. But it would never have came up if it wasn't for the fact that it was launching this week and that Germany was the one EU country. To not have access to AEW Plus, that now
0: that is sod's law. I know, yeah, I was I was keeping up with that this week, and it was really interesting. Coming, I, I think this, I think that's happened before though with uh, other streaming services. I can't, I'm sure I've read uh, similar things to that before with streaming services. But um, I mean, well, I could hear you talk about this stuff forever and ever, but we've got the. We've got the small matter of uh, you've up Germany a few times then, but last but not least, uh, WXW's huge annual World Tag Festival this weekend, and James, you joining uh, Will and Benno and heading over to Germany for this one. I mean, they've been fraught with some really unlucky cancellations this year. Um, Some of their big names no longer appearing, but WXW have uh, got something really interesting lined up this weekend.
2: Absolutely. And as they said themselves uh, on Twitter today, it's been an unprecedented level of withdrawals and bad luck and things conspiring against them at this stage. Like uh, just to list off the names of people who were originally slated to be on these shows and who can't make it anymore for various reasons. We've a and Carlos Romo, which is most likely to do with NXT UK, who are running tapings this weekend. Walter has been pulled off due to his own issues with being able to travel, which I have suspicion might be a little bit of a work, but at the moment he's not on the card. Uh, Mark Davis is injured. Bandido is injured. Francis Caspin is injured. Today, Eddie Kingston pulled out due to family reasons. Uh, Marius Alani is suspended because of an incident where he had a run in with a fan at a show in Germany lately. And I think uh, Julian Pace might be injured as well. So like a lot of their plans have kind of gone up in the air and we're kind of left in a situation where it's almost like at the moment, any plans they have, they had for the tournament, like must have gone up in smoke because, you know, uh, like Kingston, for example, was due to tag with David Starr. And you would imagine that a David Starr tag team, you know, given how prominent he is in the promotion would probably have made the final. So that's gone up in the air. You know, if we are to believe them, Walter isn't there. Um, he would have been a prominent on the final day. But, um, and, you know, it has affected the quality of the tournament, shall we say, on paper, you know, um, and looking at it on paper, it's not as stellar a field as we've come to expect from the the, the Tag League, as it was known in the last few years. Um, they've moved to a 12-team format this year. I would kind of say, looking at the field at this stage, you've kind of got six good teams and six teams who are kind of there to kind of make up the numbers, you know. So, like, you've got the Chad and team of Kyle Fletcher and Lucky Kid. You've got Timothy Thatcher and Vike Muller. You've got Only Larkin and Danny Birch from WWE. You've got Violence is Forever who kind of benefited from the cancellations with Kevin being added to the card and those guys entering. Or Horseman, very solid team. And then whoever David Starr tags with, I think, will will be one of the top teams. And then you've kind of got the lower down teams like your Anti-Fun Police, The Crown, uh, Jay Skillet, and Absolute Andy, Pretty Bastard, The Purge Club, Arrows of Hungary. So there's kind of a clear divide in the field, I think, between kind of the, the, the big teams and the smaller teams. I imagine a lot of that latter six will be the ones who will kind of lose in the first round. Um the withdrawals and the the whole situation with WXW at the moment has made the tag tournament completely unpredictable. You know, usually going into a tournament like this, you'd have an idea of maybe a team that's going to make the final. Looking at that field, like, I have no idea what's going to happen. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. And I often think when when wrestling promotions have this kind of bad look and when people cancel off cards and they have to reshuffle the deck, sometimes it motivates everybody to kind of, go an extra 10% to make yeah. up for it. You know what I mean? Uh, it motivates the wrestlers. It motivates the bookers. Like, you know, at the very last minute, they got Jonathan Gresham in for three days in the tournament. Like, and that 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 changes the complexion of everything to have a guy of his quality in the field. You know, um, it got violences forever in at last minute. A, a new team to everybody, a really unique team, a team that I've come to really enjoy and a team that I think if, if they kind of get a nice run with the booking could really blow people away. And like, there's a lot of people on this card now Hungry guys, you know, like the likes of Dominic Garini and Kevin Coo, James Drake, Anthony Henry. Um, these are guys who are kind of looking at the independent scene in Europe, kind of thinking like this is the place to be. WXW is a big chance for us now to kind of impress everybody in the company with how we carry ourselves, with how hard we work. And, you know, get ourselves a slot on this, And still, which, which is still one of the biggest promotions in Europe, you know. And then, like, for for me, the draw is definitely the Ambition Tournament. I think it's a really interesting field this year. Uh, we've got Dominic Guarini in it. We've got Scotty Davis from Ireland. We've got Daniel Maccabe. We've got James Runyon over from um, Santina Morella's Battle Arts School. There's some interesting guys like Damon Moser, who kind of has kind of fallen off the radar a little bit mm-hmm. since has run progress a few years ago. We've got Russ Taylor from who like would have been you know fans of old PWG would remember him. A lot of interesting names on there, and like the, the way that tournament kind of folds out. I'm expecting maybe Maccabe, Scotty Davis, Dominic Garini, and plus one to be in the semifinals. Like and like the, the combination of matches. You could get from those three plus one more like it's fairly mouthwatering to me as a wrestling fan anyway. Um, There's the women's tournament then as well on the Saturday. And there's some, some really interesting names in there. Faye Jackson, Lufista. Vesna is always good fun to watch. Lena Austin, who's kind of improved leaps and bounds. Sammy Jane, who's maybe one of the most underrated wrestlers overall in Europe. Um, so like, that'll be an interesting tournament as well. So, you know, I, I have seen people being down on the, on the lineup. I was down myself on the lineup up until kind of the Gresham announcement and the violence is forever addition to the card and that kind of thing. But, now that it's here, it just it feels like they have a blank canvas. There are very few announced matches apart from the tournament matches um and I'm hoping everybody steps up you know uh, and I suppose looking forward to kind of you know at the very least these w x w weekends. There's a great social side to them. You know, you have the two Sayers running the bowling competition on the Friday night. There's a chance to catch up with a lot of the people we only kind of get to talk about talk with online, usually. Chance to meet up with Benno and Will and that kind of thing. Um, there's always the, the big dinner we all go for on the Sunday night. So, you know, even though we kind of all feel a bit uneasy about the WWE involvement in WXW, there's always going to be the social side to these weekends as well. You know, and like I, I'm certainly looking forward to a break from, from from the routine here at home and that kind of thing and getting away for a few days. Um, and there's interest in it as well. Like, it'll be the first time I'll have been at a WXW event, say... When they can't use the normal team tunes they would have used for people, like they're going to be using the stock music. How does that, to me, the music has always been a huge part of the live WXW experience. And what will it feel like when everybody's coming out to generic music and not, you know, you won't have Bobby Guns with his team. You won't have Tim Thatcher coming out to the Lonesome Boatman and that kind of thing. It's going to be different and it's going to be interesting. And like, um, full disclosure, I am going as, as, as on a media pass, which means I, I was given free access to all the, events, you know, and I'm hoping that we kind of get to put some questions to people in WXW about that, about w, about the WWE involvement and in that kind of thing and where they see the company going in the future. So lots to look forward to. And as I said, just fingers crossed that, there, that there's this, there's also this storm brewing around the UK and Ireland at the moment. And I'm hoping that that doesn't cause any more people, you know, any fans travel mm-hmm. issues and hope it doesn't cause any more wrestlers' travel issues as well, Like because, Jesus, they've surely had their quota of bad luck at this stage in terms of cancellations and that kind of thing.
1: Well, the one thing I would say about that, James, is one of the things I'm getting a little bit nervous about is got a lot of of people in the women and the ambition tournament aren't unlike, say, the ambition tournament at Carrots, where most of the guys were there the day before. Yeah. most of them are flying in on the Saturday evening, Sunday morning. Yeah. So that storm gets bad. That could be bad. Does that makes any yeah. sense? Um, so, yes, fingers crossed, storm behaves itself. Um, yeah, that, like, the Bix will be a weekend is always fun. This will be my third. So I first went last year due to uh, the Trees of disastrous Salzburgs uh, summit. Salzburg Summit. I better use those freedom of movement rights before they go. Um the the I think they're very lucky they changed the format to have the women's tournament and a shoot style tournament because I think that has really given the weekend some extra oomph that helps counteract the fact that the tag tournament at the moment looks a bit lackluster compared to what we got last year. Um, I mean I think it would be fair to say one half of the block last year had more star power. Than the entire tournament, which is quite impressive. When last year you only had eight teams and this, this year you have twelve. Um it's not their fault. These things happen, you get these snake bitten shows. Um I'll be interested to see how they handle it and how they kind of work through it. I think the losing Kingston's a, a body blow, cause you could tell that they did a very cool video with Star Dragonoff. Um on Monday, I was kind of hyping the idea of uh, Star and off winning the, uh, the the whole tournament and then challenging uh, Dragonov and Walter. So we'll see how they handle that. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how Santos and Damien Dunn get on in Germany. Uh, Santos, I've seen Santos a few times recently. Uh, I was seeing fairly regularly across the Midlands. But he's been on point with his comedy lately. I saw him have a perhaps the funniest match I've ever seen live against Sugar Dunkerton at Kamikaze a couple of weeks ago. And so i will be interested to see what him and Dunn can do in a new setting, um, particularly to get eliminated earlier and they have a bit more freedom to do some really wacky matches. Likewise, that women's one person James didn't mention was actually the WXW Women's Champion, which was uh, Amal, Amal uh, Winchester, a uh, French a uh, French uh, pro wrestler. And I she wasn't in WXW at Carus, but I saw at a uh, wrestle and she really impressed me. And I was saying to a couple of people that I was surprised nobody in, in Britain has brought her over. And it's good to see WXW really put a rocket um, under under and really push her hard. So I'm 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 interested to see how she looks after this six months of a big push and the experience she's gained and whether the clear star presence she had in that smaller stage uh, translates to WXW. So like Jamie says, it's going to be fun. I'm hopefully going to be in a circle. My flight lands in Oberhausen, sorry, it lands in Dusseldorf at five, but I have no hold luggage. So the plan is to rush out of the airport and get on a train to Essen. If that doesn't work, I'll just go to the hotel. But like the plan is to just get the the the, uh, the train straight to Essien for the inner circle and finally get to see the training school show. But one way or the other, these are always fun weekends, and I'm sure me and James, you can agree on this. Come on, Tim. Just, just, just <laughs> be, just be just beat him up, just beat Bobby Guns up you know, just just destroy the idiot come on
0: <laughs> well, It certainly sounds like you'll be having a, a fantastic weekend, and also with shows like this I always find that when your expectations are lowered they always shows end up being a lot better than when you're going to have the big names and things like that so I think it's certainly, it certainly will, will be a cracking weekend, and yeah certainly very jealous of uh, you guys and Benno over there, and i um, before well, we head out of here, uh, Will, have you got any plugs uh, that you want to get in?
1: Yeah, so uh, Pro Wrestling Torch, um, I am the one fool who's doing a, a British pro wrestling podcast and making people pay for it, so go VIP. Um, but also, uh, I do have an article up there about um, the a w t v deal. I am... Thinking of writing an article about Sheldon Friday, if I can get time over the weekend to write it during the downtime, one of the nice things about uh, Tag Tag Festival compared to 16 carat, you do actually have your mornings free to yourself to kind of potter around uh, before the craziness begins. I also, if anyone's interested, write for Express and Star, which is a West Midlands local newspaper, and you'll see various reports on local wrestling including the aforementioned Kamikaze Temik- Pro Wrestling Show. And as I said, you know, that sort of Vimeo, that that Santos-Stunkerton match was something special.
0: And um, as noted at the start of the show, this will be our last show on a Wednesday and we'll be moving to our new day of Friday. Uh, still on the same feeds and every two weeks, so we will be back on the 18th of October with James Ian Beno's live report from WXW Tag League. Uh, the small matter of Breed's uh, uh, rescheduled cave show and all the latest from the world of European wrestling. And thanks for listening, and we'll uh, catch you then on Friday, our new, our new day.